This is Lloyd Price, and this is a Loudspeaker Network production. Internet. This episode of the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by our great friends at Bevel, the first and only shaving system designed specifically for coarse, curly hair and sensitive skin. Check out GetBevel.com today. Use the promo code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T, to get 20% off your first month at GetBevel.com. That's GetBevel.com. Shave like a goddamn man and raise the bar. Internet, so you're tuned into the Combat Jack Show, the Combat Jack Show Dot com. What's up, A-King? What's good, Co- Combat Jack? It's good to see you here again, man. I'm here. This is the third week that Premium Pete is not with us. He's still on paternity leave, enjoying his young, ba- brand new baby boy son. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Him and his lady are still recuperating and enjoying this this, this great moment. Yep. Premium Pete, the internets do not lie when they say that they are missing you. So enjoy your time and we will see you on the next episode. Internets, we have a very, very special episode lined up for you man you know it's it's amazing how you know a lot of wise people a lot of wise people have always told me that you know when you're in a situation when you're in the present and you're trying to determine the future it's very difficult for you to have a a a goal in mind or a a sight in mind a, 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 a a designated place to land when you don't know your past and you know one of the greatest crimes of our society is it has us believing you know from from the moment we got here that our culture that black culture is disposable you know that it's not worth anything that you know what what's worth it with regard to our genius and our brilliance is what's next Mm -hmm. and what happened in the past let's forget about that and let's keep moving right but if you notice the dominant culture continues to preserve their culture even kind of, you know, whitewash our history, Hmm. you know, so that, you know, you look at some of the great things, some of the great images that, you know, we contributed to, and you don't see our faces anymore. You see brand new faces, you know, Hmm. representing our greatness, our brilliance, our contributions, not only to this society, but to this planet, you know, this, this global culture, you know, and, and if you've been rocking with the combat Jack show, even for a minute, you know that, yeah, definitely hip hop and, you know, whatever it is, I, I definitely do my best, you know, in this small space to maintain the, the, the importance and the value of our culture. So this this episode is so special because I am admittedly stepping out of my comfort zone and going deeper into the legacy of what we bring to this game. So it is with great joy and with, with great honor. And I hope I do your legacy so well on this episode. I want to <laughs> welcome to the Combat Jack Show. Mr. Lloyd Price. Mr. Personality. <laughs> Mr. Lloyd Price. Welcome to the Combat Jack Show, sir. Well, Jack, I thank you very much. And uh, what an introduction. Uh, a lot of things you said that uh, I revel in and been preaching it all my life. And I'm so happy to hear uh, Combat Jack step right in them shoes and, and throw the ball right across the plate. Well, let's play ball, sir. Let's, let's go. Well, well, the rumor is, first and foremost, like, I'm a little thrown off because the rumor is you are a, an, a young 82 years old. 82 this year, yes. 82 this year. Yes. Wow. I would give you 
60-ish something. What are you doing, man? Taking it easy. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 you but 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 you've lived a very interesting it was nothing. You didn't take anything easy, man. No, you know what, Jack? I have been told that uh I I have a bowling average right now. I my average right now is 204, mm-hmm. but I got a life lifetime average of bowling for 212. Mm. I got six perfect games, you know. And mm. I'm perfect games. 290, I don't know how many times in the 280s. I've been bowling all my life. Bowling right. And I, I sort of contribute uh, that aspect of my life to how I live because in show business, you know, when there was, uh, you couldn't get a hotel room, you can always find a bowling alley mm. that you could go in because they stayed open all night. Right. A lot of them you couldn't go in. You, But some of them around the Midwest and l- l- northern part of the South, would let you go in and bowl because there was nobody there. Right. And I mean, when you had, I'm talking about back door stuff. Right. Like, well, you, you don't let anybody see you. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you still, you still actively bowl? I still do. Uh, I didn't bowl last year because I was spending a lot of time last year putting together my legacy, writing books, and there's a play coming out about my life. And we hope this September that Lord and Miss Claudia would be Somewhere in New York. We're looking at the 59th Street Playhouse Theater. Right. We're going to put this uh, the story. And it's about music. And um, that's what I did all last year, trying to get that together. Well, let's let's see if we can. And, I mean, there's internet. If you really don't know your history, you don't know what you're in store for. I mean, it's, we're, we're going to try to cram not just time, but so many momentous events within these short hours. And let's let's just start. So you're from Kenna, Kenna, Louisiana. Kenna, Louisiana. I must tell you, Jack. In Kenna, I was I grew up on a street called Butler Street. Butler Street, which is now Lloyd Price Avenue. Congratulations! But if you ever, well, you've been to New Orleans. Yes, I have. No, actually, no, I've been to. I've I've never been to New Orleans. It's well, it's seven. It was seven miles north of the city. Okay. If you've been to the airport, New Orleans, that used to be our playground. All back there where the airport, where the right. airport is, the New Orleans, well, it's now the New Orleans International Airport. Right. That was bean fields, tomato fields, and sweet potato fields. We'd go out there and play. That's where I grew up. But my point was, there was no hard roads. There was no cement or asphalt. It was all dirt roads. Dirt roads. So, uh... That's where I grew up, out there in Kenna. And you were very fortunate because, from what I understand, your parents were very industrious. Yeah, my father, he was a a plumber. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, actually, he was probably one of the first black crane operators on those ships when the uh, banana boats used to come from Cuba Mm -hmm. down through the Gulf. And he was a crane operator when people was making 65 cents an hour. Wow. Yeah, and and what was and your mother? My mother was famous, local, she, locally famous. Yeah, she had a sandwich shop. Okay, she had a little small fish. You catch them and you fry them. Well, yeah, well you know it's a seafood world out right. there, and she's had sea uh, fish and potato salad sandwiches that she so built a little room outside the house. But they had eleven kids. Eleven kids, and which one? Which one were you? I'm the eighth child. You're the eighth child. There, there was eight boys and three girls. Oh my god! Yeah. He was busy. Right. 
Well, well, they were busy. <laughs> yeah, they were. Well, they didn't have. They only there was no video. Right. Of course. There was no television. There was no. Was there radio? The outside world was your radio. Okay. And when you turn it on, all you heard was Minnie Pearl, Roy Acuff, and Hank Williams. Mm. That was the radio. So they was they turned the light out at eight o'clock at night. Right. So, <laughs> so tell us how what what drove you. To get into music, what what gravitated you towards music? Well, Jack, when as long as I could remember, I always, always was a lover of music. When I started understanding it, I even loved it more. And I followed the, I followed bands when I would see a bus come to town for Louis Jordan. He was the he was our Elvis Presley, right? You know, and then there was Charles Brown. Amos Milburn, Ruth Brown, and Roscoe Garden. And there was only, the jukebox only held like 10 records. 10 records. A and B side. And my mother had one in the shop. And when the, when the jukebox wasn't playing, she had the radio on. I was listening to the radio one day. I didn't want to be in there because she had me sweeping and she all that. She had you busy. Yeah. I heard for the first time in my life a black man on the radio. How I knew it was a black man, I had never heard that kind of voice before. You know, we could tell right. who is who. There's a certain timber. That's a right. A certain tone. Because I said there was no TV. Base. Yeah, because I heard, hi, this is W. Was none of that at all. Right. He said, Lord, Miss Cloudy, <laughs> eat your. <laughs> <laughs> Eat your mother's homemade pies and drink Maxwell House coffee. <laughs> so it was a Maxwell House coffee. I said, oh, yeah. It was a Maxwell House coffee commercial. Instant coffee. That was right. the first time I'd ever heard of instant coffee. And his name was Okie Dokie Smith. Okay. <laughs> he was from Laura, Mississippi. And, <laughs> so you so you hear. I heard Lord and Miss Claudia. Right. But what got me, Jack, here was a guy, this was in the middle of the week. Mm-hmm. And the only time I'd ever heard anything on the radio about, I'm thinking, the Lord was on Sundays. Because that was Black Music Day. Right. They played gospel. Right. That was it. So, in a sense, was that the only time that, that, that blacks were able to really communicate with each other through radio was on Sundays? Well, they didn't even really communicate with right. each other because... The, well, communicate to the world. Or that's ex- right. Expre- well, express themselves. Well, I was about to say the wattage was a thousand watts. Right. You know, five thousand was huge. Right. So you couldn't hear. Once you got out of certain areas, it was no clear channels. Mm-hmm. There's no satellites. None. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, what we used to listen to to hear what we now call rock and roll and rhythm and blues was a station in Nashville, Tennessee. WLAC, Nashville, Tennessee. They sold records. Randy Recordmark, that was the sponsor on his 50,000 watt station. And that was what? The one in Detroit, mm-hmm. one in Chicago, one in New Orleans, Nashville, New York had one. WABC was 50,000. And WLAC in Nashville, Tennessee was the only one played music where that you can, we related to. You could hear John Lee Hooker. Right. You hear Memphis Slim. The first time I ever heard B.B. King was mm. on WLAC. Right. Three yes, o'clock in the morning. You know, was it? But uh, 
there was no communication. Right. And our, the window to our to our outside world is when Joe Lewis had a fight. Mm. And then later Sugar Ray. And everybody had a radio. Right. You know, well, not really everybody, because most of them used to come to my father's house. Okay. To listen to so, the radio. So people would come to your father's house. Yeah, yeah, because they didn't have radios. Right, right, right. Now, now, what was, like, explain or share with us, you know, I want to say that the, the world was a lot different, even though we see some of the things that still re- recur, but how was the situation with regard to, like, segregated? It was rough. Yeah. It was rough. Now, to tell you about Okadoki, then I'll tell you about the segregation. Okay. Uh, I wrote the first million-selling record ever mm-hmm. sold in America, Lord and Miss Claudia. Mm-hmm. And it was because I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea about what I was doing. When he... <laughs> this, this is it right here, right? That's it. But that's not the original. But that's the song. I, w- I, want, to, I want to listen to the song for that. Mr. Price, this is the first million-selling record. That's right. In American history. That's right. Okay. How do we get to this point? You, you, tell us how you got to this point. Well, like I was saying, yes, Jack, I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. A guy called Dave Bartholomew, uh, at that time was just—he was our local Louis Jordan. Okay. He was what they called an A&R man. Right. Um, you had to have a degree. You had to know how to play an instrument. You had to be a trained singer to get signed by a record company. Right. This guy, Art Roop, uh, from Uniontown, Pennsylvania, uh, used to buy a lot of gospel records. And he started timing the records. He started timing the records to see what would happen if he tried a new format. Right. What he did was he um, told Dave Bartholomew that, I'm getting just a little ahead of the story. Fats Domino, if, which was on the original record, that's why mm-hmm. I said it's not the original record. Okay. I got to ask you, Jack, you know about Fats. Yes, of course. Okay. <laughs> down by, down, what was it? Down by the... Blueberry Hill. Yes, yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, just he sold maybe 150 million records. Okay, you know? altogether. Oh yeah, I'm, he was in the top ten for 12 years. Right, straight somewhere in the top five for 12 years. He sold more records than Elvis. Right, and yeah, well, we'll get to that. Yes, definitely. But um, Lord and Miss Claudia started the youth movement, not just in America but around the world. Uh, the first gold record they Cashbox was giving gold records in. 
I was 18. Was, was, what was Cashbox? Was Cashbox a... The billboard. It the was, billboard. Okay. It was the Bible. It was the Bible. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, well, you know, we're, we're jumping all over the place. How did you get into music? Well, I was about to tell you. Okay, so go ahead. When Okie Dokie Smith said, Lord, Miss Claude, mm-hmm. eat your mother's homemade pies and drink mm-hmm. Maxwell House coffee, mm-hmm. I knew during, during the week, we only heard about the Lord on Sundays. Right. When I kept hearing, said, Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. And it's like Wednesday or Thursday. I knew he couldn't be talking about a gospel song mm-hmm. or a gospel person. Right. I snatched that little gem and tried to learn how to play. Mm. I wanted to learn how to play piano, so I wanted to play a thing what they call an eight-ball blues because at that time there was a local guy called Professor Longhair. Right now, if you've seen Dr. John, mm-hmm. he is the white Professor Longhair. Okay. And um, he had played that eight-ball blues, so I knew I could play that. That was the first thing I learned how to play. By ear? Yeah. Okay. Lordy, 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 Miss Claudia, girl, you sure look good to me. On this particular day when I was in there, my mother didn't want me in the shop, Dave Bartholomew came in. Now, I had recognized Dave because he played all the dances around Kenner and around another little area, Shrewsbury. You know, it's five or six little uh, hubs that they call where people lived. Right. And high schools was there. He'd play the proms. He was very popular for that, you know, like the local band guy. Mm-hmm. When I looked around, I saw him listening to me playing this thing. I was embarrassed. Now, now your mom had a piano in the shop? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So uh, he said, play that again for me. Then I realized who he was. I was embarrassed. So I played it again for him. How you old know? were you? I was 17, almost 18. Okay. said, Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. He said, you know what? There's a guy coming here looking to sign young talent. Mm. What I was about to tell you is that you had to have a degree in music right. or some sort of academic education mm-hmm. to even be qualified. Right. No DECA, Mercury, Columbia, none of those big labels. You, forget about signing any black people. That was out of the question. Right. Nat Cole was not even signed to an American label. Capital is EMI, right. you know, English music industry. He never was signed to uh, 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 an American American company. Anyway, he said, listen, this guy's coming here. Fats Domino got a smash, the fat man. Mm -hmm. Say, if you get that together, I might be able to make a record with you. Now, I don't know what he's talking about. And you you think he's talking crazy or something? This is Chinese to me. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, okay, Mr. Dave. I call him Mr. Dave. Okay, whatever. Okay, he said, no, no, no. He said, I really like that. When this guy come here, I want him to hear this. Dave want to hear, and I, my piano playing. Do you want to hear this? Right. So, <laughs> and and this is something that 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 you, I'm just you're having self taught. Yes, I'm just having some fun for myself. Right. And and w- what do you attribute your ability to sing? Where, where's that coming from? I ain't never thought I was a singer. Right. Even after being on the charts thirty eight times. Right. <laughs> but your voice is 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 amazing. Yeah, but what happened was, he did call me in three weeks. Okay. He called me in three weeks. I went down. Fats Domino on piano. The best band in town is there. I'm the only one in the studio. The whole studio was maybe a little bigger than this with all the musicians. I'd never been in the studio in my life. So talk about embarrassed and talk about intimidated. Intimidated, embarrassed. Hoping I could Because you knew these people. You knew of these people. I knew of them, yes. Fats Domino. That's right. He, you know, 10,000 sales was a big record. Right. 
And Fat Man must have sold maybe twenty five or thirty thousand. Right. I mean, the, throughout the whole state, all you heard twenty four hours a day was the Fat Man. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's in there on the piano. I'm singing. It's a, he introduced me to Art Roop and his wife. You know, this fantastic looking woman, blonde with blue eyes. Yeah. I'd never been that close to a white woman. Right. You know, so he's <laughs> <laughs> that close. Right? No, That's... man, because you know down there, reckless eyeballing would get you jail time. Right. If it didn't get you hung. Right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, it was rough. You talk rough. Now, 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 now be, like you, we were talking, we were jumping all over the place. But t- <laughs> talk about how rough it was. Like, what is, what were some of the things that you experienced as norm, as a normal way of life when you were growing up? Well, let me. I'm, I'm, when I was eighteen years old, yes. The minimum wage. I'm gonna just go there so you know what I'm talking about. The min, the minimum wage, in the ghetto in the black neighborhood, was sixty five to seventy cents an hour. Mm. Okay. When I recorded Lord and Miss Claudia, it was a big club in New Orleans called the Dewdrop. The Dewdrop. The Dewdrop Inn. The record was so hot, the guy said, listen, I give you $50 a night if you come in and I need you for two weeks. $50 a night. $50. Which, which, which is? My father was taking home $75 a week. Right. You know I mean? Not just my father. Right. Everybody's, Everybody's father. father. Yeah. Right. But if, if they were fortunate. If they was fortunate. Right. That's right. So what happened was, the first night, it was a Friday night, and I looked out, I saw some white people in the place. I thought I was in the wrong place mm. because you didn't do nothing with white people. It was completely. It was, compl- I mean, totally, right. totally against the law. Everything a black man did was against the law, including trying to figure out what school he wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. You could not do nothing. A dog had more rights than you. Some of them still do. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? mean? He could go into the front door mm-hmm. and, oh, he'd get petted and stuff. If you went in there, you got arrested. Mm-hmm. Or, so, or got something upside your head or something. Right. Now, right now, I have changed. I'm going to move ahead a little bit. I've changed the sound of music. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. Everywhere I went, you could not get in. Now, remember when I said the radio stations, only was 1,000 watts. 5,000 watts, you was huge. Right. You could play, if I played today like in New Orleans, the next day I could play Baton Rouge, which mm-hmm. was 65 miles away. Mm-hmm. The next 100 miles away was Beaumont, Texas, and then Houston. You play 90 nights by the time you got to El Paso. Right. Now I'm getting $350, $450 a day. A day. Yeah. That was 63 years ago. Wow. But I couldn't buy a 15-cent hot dog in the front door of mm. no place. <laughs> you had all this money. I'm integrating the South. Right. They put me, draft me in the Army well, because— Well, this is, this is your first record. First record. Your yeah. first record mm. sells a million copies. Yeah, but I don't know this. You don't know this. This guy didn't write about it. Art right. Rude didn't write— right. I didn't know that until I saw it in his book about 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. So you were the first—you were America's— I got. I got to keep saying this. You're this country's first platinum artist. Well, it wasn't platinum. It right. was gold. Well, okay. <laughs> and the next one I understand was Perry Como. Perry Im- Com- Im- so you beat Perry Como. Impossible. Right. It was years later. Okay. I beat a lot of them. Elvis was three years behind me. Mm-hmm. Fats Domino, when I left, took my place. I discovered Little Richard, and on and on and on. So Lordy Miss Claudia. Lordy Miss Claudia. Amazing. Open the door for the youth movement. Amazing. So when you say youth movement, what you, and I, I'm sorry I cut you off, 
what this record is doing is it's bringing all the kids all to hear the, this because you change slightly change the art. What what did you do different from the music that existed at the time? Well, BB King usually said most people play better than I do, mm-hmm. but I'm BB King, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, <laughs> I guess what happened was Jack is because I was blessed to sing Lord of Miss Claudia. Right. And that brought the youth black and white together. They had never spoken to each other mm-hmm. before. I know when I was a kid, walking down the street, if there was a bunch of white kids coming, we'll cross over. Right. If we didn't have enough power, you know, because they're going to start a fight with us. Right, they're going to do something. And the same thing would happen if we, there was a bunch of white kids, they would cross over if mm-hmm. it was too many of us. Right. I mean... Man, you couldn't walk on the white cemetery. You couldn't walk on the grass. It was rough. But but in your but in your mind, it was a normal way of life. Listen, it was natural for us. It was natural. Yeah, I mean, we didn't know nothing else. Right. And I'm thinking that once I got my, I remember telling my little brother who was my drummer, I said, "Man, once we get we, we our first gig in North Carolina was in Raleigh, North Carolina, mm. and that big university is there over in Durham." Uh, can't think of the name of it right now, but just it was more white kids that night came over to to to, to Raleigh than there were black kids. I didn't know whether it was a black. Well, you, we're talking about NC NC State. Uh, is it NC State? It's ah, King's looking it up. Anyway. Okay, great. No, but anyway. I'm thinking that we didn't cross the Mason-Dixon line. Everything goes, we in North Carolina. Right. See, that thing rung in my head, beat a little Southern boy. Or they say, oh, you go north, it's going to be different. Mm-hmm. NC State, uh, I think it probably is. Is, is that it? Yeah, it okay. could be. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's what it's looking like. <laughs> okay. So anyway, the first time I saw where they broke up the dance because the black kids and the white kids was on the floor dancing together. Right. And they were actually dancing together? Well, they wasn't... Dancing together, but they were dancing on the same floor. You had never seen that before. Right, right, right. You know, this guy stopped the band, and uh, he said, you know, we don't allow no mixing here. They, they can't do nothing. They can't even be on the same floor together. Mm-hmm. One of these groups got to be spectators. So it was an armory that had an upstairs. So one group had to go upstairs. The biggest group stayed on the main floor, mm-hmm. which was the white kids, right. and the black kids had to go upstairs. Of course. So North Carolina was not North Carolina. Not even was North Carolina North Carolina. New York was not New York. Right. California, L.A. was not L.A., and on and on and on. There was no way in this country where you felt free. Right. You know what I mean? Now, I'm saying to you— And, you, and, and you're financially— didn't make any difference. Didn't make any difference. I've asked my, I used to ask them all the time, how much does a black man have to weigh? How successful does he have to be? And what kind of academia does he need before he's respected as a man? Hmm. And the guy said, buddy, don't ask me. He said, <laughs> I would, I'd be uncomfortable too mm. if I was in your shoes. Right. Yeah. So so you're, you're, you're changing the music. Change you're, the sound of you're, music. You're changing you're, you're you're basically creating rock and roll, first time out, and you're 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 integrating the social scene, and they realize that you're a threat. That's right. And not only did not only did they realize there was a threat, there was a guy called Richard Russell. Mm-hmm. We'll look him up. He was a senator mm-hmm. from Georgia. Right. 
he was the chairman of the the armed service committee. Mm. He's from Lassit from Georgia. Mm -hmm. When I went to the draft board to get a deferment, being that there were so many kids, right. I had five brothers in the service. When they draft me, they're only supposed to take four from a family. Right. My fifth brother had the volunteer for the service. He had to go in the Coast Guards. He could not go in the Army. He fought to get into the Army. Yeah, because right. everybody wanted to get out of Kennedy. Right, 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 right. It was a way out. <laughs> it was a way out. Right. I probably would have done that as well. Right. But here you are making money. Now, You're doing something that you love. That's you right. You find this new, newfound fame, and then what happened? Well, I'm now the sole supporter of the family. Yes. Families now beginning to feel like human beings, mm -hmm. begin to live right. They give me a 30-day deferment. Right. And then now I got maybe two or three more releases. It's going into a year. I'm just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, I, the only way I could do, uh, if I had to uh, compare it, you put Michael Jackson and the Beatles together. Mm -hmm. I was all that in one. Right. Monday through Sunday, any night of the week, you couldn't get in. To, people just wanted to touch me and see. This music I'm, was, I'm sure those nice, sweet, young things are touching you too, sir. Man, let me tell you. If they, <laughs> I told Fox. I said, Fox, if there was 500 in the room, 300 of them was mine. <laughs> so, so, sir, you were definitely a problem. I was a problem. Not only to the white community, sir, but you were a problem. To the I was a problem. I was a <laughs> so, so, you, so, so the, the Korean War is going on. And Actually, they, yes. And they, and they draft you. Yes. It, uh, draft me in. And nothing could keep me out. I had all these big-time lawyers and to try to get me a 90-day deferment at right, least. Right. The lady in Metairie, Louisiana, a little short, you know, one of them little bit of little... Bitter. Oh, yeah. Tight. <laughs> bitter, bitter, bitter white lady. Tight, tight lip. She said, boy, you got to go. She said, ain't nothing I can do about you here. Right. Say, because the draft boat, the Washington, I got my orders from Washington. You got to go in. And that was it. Took me right on in and kept me 23 months and 13 days. How was it over there? Well, when I got to Japan, the first record I heard in Tokyo was Lord of Miss Clark. Get out of here. Swear to God, 1954. Wow. First record I heard was Lord of Miss Clark. Wow. And then they found out that I was over there. Right. They found out, they found out it was you. They found out that I was there. Oh, my goodness. Man... I was headed to Korea, right? But somehow, or another they changed my orders. I stayed in in Yokohama, yes. which was Little Harlem, right? I stayed there for like thirty to sixty days mm -hmm. before I went to Korea. And when I got to Korea, they had put me in the line company. You know, line company. You the first one out. You in the right. infantry? Oh, so they were mad. They was ready for yeah. They was mad. <laughs> but then they found out that for some reason the company commander wanted to know who is this Lloyd Price. They, you know, he called me to the office and said, who are you? <laughs> and I said, well, I made records and I'm scared. I'm intimidated. Right, 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 right. I'm in Korea. And they're telling you about North and South Korea. Everybody look alike. Right. You know what I mean? You don't know who the, you don't <laughs> know what's going on. <laughs> who, who is the enemy? You know what I mean? <laughs> so now I got another enemy. I got my company commander. He's wondering who I am. Right. You know, like I said, I'm just a soldier. Anyway, to make a long story short, these guys was coming up for autographs and all that stuff. And he, he called me into his office. He said, what do, what do you do? Why do so many people know you? And my only thing was, you know, being a country boy, I said, I make records. Right. 
He said, well, I don't, I ain't never heard about you. You make records. I I heard about Hank Williams, and he got to running them all. Right. The Andrews, Sisters, all the, Bob all Hope, the, all the whites, Ben Crosby. Yep, yep. Yeah, I didn't expect, you know. Black, like, black artists didn't exist. And a young black kid like right, me, right, right, you right. know. So um, anyway, it got sold. They put me in special service. Mm, which means what? Which means that they gave me instructions. I was so popular, and they found out who I was. They gave me an uh, a, a whole unit for myself to get all my own musicians and all my really? own. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And I started entertaining the field grade officers, the NCO, NCOs, and the peons. Right. That was my up and down career and throughout of Japan. Which is, which is amazing. That's right. And that, that probably saved your life. Probably did. But here's what the deal is. When I came back, the music had changed. The music had changed. Yeah. And there was a new face now. And then you had Little Richard. Little Richard. Fats Domino. Fats Domino. Ray Charles. Right. James Brown. You know, everybody, there was 8,000 record labels. Mm. Believe it or not, only three so now. So you changed the game. Changed the game. You changed the game. Distributors. All that was not heard of before right. Lord and Miss Claudia. Right. So you come back home and you're like, I got to get back into this. That's right. I got to get back into this. And you start writing records. You start doing songs again, and you come up with another hit. That's right. And the name of this hit is called Just Because. Just Because. because. Tell us about Just Because. Just Because, when I got home, the music had changed so Pat Boom, Bob Bob Lou Bob, Da Bob Boo. I was wondering, <laughs> and Buddy Holly, I'm wondering which way the music is going. Right. So, being in Japan, I had to learn how to speak a little Japanese. Mm-hmm. So, I recorded something with a little English and Japanese in it. Didn't happen. And then I went to my company, who was the guy, Art Root, guy who gave me my start. The record didn't happen. Richard's on fire. I had Richard put on that label from Tokyo. Mm-hmm. So um, I said, listen, why don't you give me my release? The guy that I signed for free made all those millions of dollars for, changed the sound of music. He charged me $1,000 to release me. Really? Yes. So you had to pay for your release. I had to pay for my release. Right. Now, I still don't know nothing about music. Mm-hmm. But what I did know, after being in special service, I was in uh, the Atchison General's uh, Department of the Army. And you know what that was. That was a bunch of young lawyers. Okay. When them young lawyers found out what I do, right. they was telling me that music business is not a hit record. Music business is a hit song. It's a hit song. Yeah, and I start thinking that way from career all the way back here. And when I said, well, I've... Meaning you're thinking now about the songwriting and the publishing and everything. I was thinking about putting it all together. Right. You know, and uh, I said, well, hell, oh, I see what this is. What it is is that a session, musicians at that time, you were seven, eight musicians, you could get them for three hours for $35. Right. And... Studio booking at that time was twenty five dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. So the guy who was paying for the record didn't cost him seven hundred bucks, but he's giving you three hmm. percent of your hundred percent, right? And kept all your publishing. Right, 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 right. That's why I said I'm going to do something different. So when I bought my release from him, I put my first record company together. I was twenty one, mm-hmm. with just because. And this is this is the first black owned record company. Yes. KRC? 1956. 1956. KRC. Yes. Yeah. Now, now, how do you feel about you're there and you're, 
even though, you know, racism exists and but you're creating this art form. And then you start seeing the complexion of the people that are pushed forward, not looking like you. Yeah, well, I noticed that right away. Right. I noticed that immediately. And I started asking the musicians, the only way that you could be beat at this game is that you got to teach them. Right. And my first thing was, hey, man, why are you going in the studio? I used to ask the black musicians, why are you going in the studio with these cats? Right. You, the, the hook was they gave them double scale. So instead of giving them the $35, they gave them 70 and paid their cab fare. <laughs> and then they start giving them three times scale. Just to learn the yeah. art form. Yeah, Atlantic Records and all these labels, they figured that there was a bigger market on the white side. Right. Then they start putting categories to the music. Before Lord and Miss Claude, everything was called race music. Race music. It was written on the record. Mm-hmm. Lord and Miss Claude. Race music. Yes. Lord and Miss Claude. Meaning music that's for, by and My, for black people. That is absolutely correct. Cor- okay. Yeah. And this was in 1952. 52. When I came back out of there, Lord and Miss Claude was the only record that never had, I think that was the first record never had race music on it. Wow. Because nobody expect that, you know. It wasn't supposed to be a hit. No. Right. Young black kids from broken English can't speak nothing. From Kenna. From Kenna. Kenna. Right. <laughs> Population 500. Mm. So anyway, uh, when those long, young lawyers being in the office with them for 13 months over there in Korea, well, actually 11 and a half months in Korea, they was telling me about music business. So when I got my contract back, I said, I got to do something totally different. And one day I was on my way home. I, I was playing a good music station. We call them FM stations mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. I was living in Washington, D.C. You got out of Kenna. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got out of Kenna. <laughs> now, what'd you do with all, all that money you had made before you went into the armed forces? You know what? When In my hometown in Kenna, I knew there was a bank on an area called the Airline Highway. Mm-hmm. We used to call it the White Bank. Mm-hmm. I put some money in there. I guess I was the first black account in the bank. <laughs> I didn't know anything about signing no checks. Or like I just knew you're supposed to stack it somewhere. Before then, I kept it in my trunk. Mm-hmm. That was my bank. That was your bank. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So when you came home, that money was there. No, man. Money was gone. My mother, and it was 11 kids. Right. These guys would ask my mother, man, can I do this? And she was just a great-hearted woman. She, she'd give it to them. Right. You know okay. I mean? But you but know? it went to a good use. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right, right. I have no problem with it. Right, excellent. None, none whatsoever. I happy. The whole idea was for them to to get them out of their suffering. Of course. Yeah. So when do you start seeing the the ascension of someone like Elvis Presley? When I came out to Army, uh, I think it was Heartbreak Hotel, mm. and uh, I always was thinking up, always been way ahead of everything else. Griffin Stadium in Washington D.C. The Washington Nationals, I think there was a Griffin. There was a baseball team in Washington. The Nationals. I wanted to present the first concert, and Elvis was going to be the guy because he was a white guy who could draw black people. Right. I saw myself. I saw my image. What he was doing. Mm-hmm. I'm knocked out the box, so I'll be a promoter. Man, he got bigger and bigger. Colonel, the Colonel had promised him to me. You know, the Colonel was his manager. That's right. He had promised him to me. But the guy just kept getting so big they canceled out. They, they they couldn't they wow. couldn't fulfill that 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 responsibility. That's right. Right. But now this is in 1957. 57. Just because it's now it's taken off like a rocket, mm-hmm. 
If it's, it's A, B, C, do, B, that's what just because it's a, a, do, re, mi, fa, so, just because you left and said goodbye. Boom. And Another hit on your hands. That was my formula for the next 11. Right. By just doing things that people is familiar with. Personality. They weren't familiar with Stagli, but it was a good story. It was a story I told to the soldiers. I, I written it as a mini play in Korea. That I was standing on the corner when I heard my. You know what? Let's let's play some staggering. <laughs> I, I, I want to play some staggering. <laughs> the night was clear. Lloyd Price. And the moon was yellow. Now this is actually kind of like a gangster record. Well, that's exactly. This is a gangster record. That's music. So Stagley was a bad man. Stagley was a bad man. A bad man. But you, you created this song while you were over in Korea. Yes. Well, it's was an old legendary tune that I had heard from a kid. Right. But it never was called Stagley. Right. You know, like you just, guys rap, just stand up and everybody take a line. Mm-hmm. That was, that's exactly what that was. Okay. But I made it out of a song and gave it a name. They, they was calling it Shackley. Shackley. It was never called Staggerly. Right. So you made it Staggerly. And, and, it, and, it, and you came back home, and this record is another hit. It's been recorded uh, 178 times. 178 times. Yeah. And you wrote it. Yeah. So you write this song. Yes. And, 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 and Dick Clark, you, you get a chance to appear on American Bandstand. But this record is so controversial that he's telling you to tone it down. He wouldn't play it. He wouldn't. So, so, so he wouldn't play it at all. No, I had to go in and change the lyrics. What did you change the lyrics to? I don't remember. Right. <laughs> I still don't remember. <laughs> I just took the band in live, and we was playing. I said something about Staggerly and Billy had a fight about a girl. Mm-hmm. 
I don't not know. about gambling. No. Right. And he played it. Right. But it was already number one. Right. It was number one for seven weeks. Which is crazy. So, you know, there's a lot of, you're in the middle of a lot of changes. You're, you're in the middle of the music changing. You're looking at the complexion changing. But then what's going on in society? I mean, you're starting to see a pushback now from black people. Oh, yeah. Well, what happened was, if you hear that big band, mm-hmm. I, got the, I got the formula. When I did Stack League, that's one take. Wow. It's a B-side. I had written this song called You Need Love. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. When I was telling you I was getting a formula, when when the black kids was doing doo-wop, I said, oh, I see. <laughs> They'd start categorizing music. Pop, top 40, top mm. 50. How could you cat- categorize that record? It's white singers. It's a mixed band on mm-hmm. there. A big band. Nobody was doing that. Ray Charles, James Brown, nobody. I had 11 hits with that combination. So you found a way to to to, to juke, juke the system. Exactly. Right. Found That's right. Right. Yeah. Now, but From, so but Stagley, I'm right. saying because of Stagley. Because of Stagley. Yes. Now, at the same time though, you're starting to see unrest in the country. Yes. And you're starting to see like the civil rights movement starting to happen. Like how are you starting to hear about, you know, people like like Dr. Martin Luther King? Well, they they heard about me. Right. What happened was... Were you aware that the, stuff was happening? Well, I was aware of all of it. Well, okay. here, here's, here, here's what I'm saying, Jack. Lord and Miss Claudia started the movement. Okay, you keep saying that. Yeah. There was no movement here. Right. Rosa Parks never would have said it. There had to be a reason for Rosa Parks to sit on that bus. Right. And in that book there, Some Dumb Hunky yes. will tell you exactly what happened. Okay. <laughs> so, so, So people... There was already, the movement was already adhered. Mm-hmm. The movement was already going on. So, they had, you know, you just out of the blue, nobody would just, Rosa Parks never would have, in Birmingham, where Bull Carnes was, mm-hmm. I mean, this guy was notorious for killing black people. Right. Nobody went to Birmingham and crossed the, the, the city limits in Ku Klux Klan, I mean, in uh, Birmingham at that time, the city limits, right under the city limits, there was a sign read, the Ku Klux Klan welcomes you. Mm. Well, you you didn't have to be Einstein to know what that meant. Right. <laughs> welcomed you and welcomed you another way. You know what I'm saying? That's right. right. It, you knew it wasn't for you. Right. You know what I mean? So there was no way that you didn't know whether it was the, the priest. You didn't know whether it was the preacher. It was the chief of police. There wasn't no black police. It was a butcher. Exactly. You had no idea who it was. No. But... For her to sit on that bus, there had to be something else going on. Right. I had been all through those towns, and uh, there would be many white kids outdoors trying to get in where they would not let them in for no amount of money or, or even as spectators could get in. They was buying records, what they call under the table. White record stores would not sell the record across the counter. Mm-hmm. You'd had to buy, the, white kids had to buy the, under the counter or send a black cab in the black neighborhood to a record shop to get to, it. To get it, right. Yes. That's how rough it was. This uh, is crazy. Oh, it was worse than crazy. Yeah, this is definitely crazy. So so the music creates the movement. The music creates the movement. And, well, now, remember the March in Washington was 10 years after Lawler was called. Right, which was 1963. 63, right. Well, look at the time. So this music now, you got 
all kinds of black and white stars mm-hmm. singing this music. Mm-hmm. I mean, you well, they changed the whole industry, not just in America, but around the world. Right. Yes. So, you know, there's another person that, that you met earlier on in his career um, who kind of changed everything, and that was uh, a young Cassius Clay. That's right. I met Cassius when he was 20 years old. Where'd you meet Cassius? In Louisville. Okay. Yeah. Were you, were you doing a show out there? Yeah, I used to do shows all up and down through Lexington, Louisville, right. all down through there. And they used to go to this place all the time called Rivers, mm-hmm. which was not that far from the Black Guest House. And it was like the most popular bar in that area of Louisville. Cassius didn't live that far. Okay. And him and his brother, Rockman, his younger brother, used to come up. And they love, I had all of them loud pink Cadillac, mm-hmm. you know, red Ooh. Cadillac. How many cars did you have at the time, man? How many cars did you go through? Do you know, I think I told Fox, I used to get two a year. And we're talking, internets, I, I really, we got we got somebody else sitting in the room who really facilitated this 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 <laughs> momentous episode. We got Freddie Fox in the building. And we're definitely going to get to the... To, to, to how you guys connected and, and what the nature of the relationship is. What's up, Freddie? How you doing, brother? Yes, I'm good, man. Thank you. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Welcome. So anyway, so you, you're driving these Cadillacs. Yeah, I used to get two a year. Two a year. When they start making convertible mm-hmm. Eldorados, mm-hmm. you know, that's when I started to two. But other than that, was a Fleetwood. So, so Mr. Price, you're driving these wonderful cars. You know you're making these white people mad. I'm very mad. You make it, and, and how are you feeling when you're making them mad? Well, I couldn't pull out unless I got stopped. Right. You know, and don't let me have a light-skinned woman in the car. Mm. Uh, man. <laughs> How many times did you get stopped? I just got, every time I pulled every out. Every time you pulled out, huh? I, I mean, it was right here at the, at the New Jersey Turnpike. Mm-hmm. I, I pulled through the toll when the, I'm, I think they just had opening Turnpike. Mm. I pulled through, and before I could go a half a mile, won't pull over. Mere license scratching. Trying to see who I had in the who car. Who got in the car? And who yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. Damn. So give me your keys. I said, well, I give him the keys, you know. Whose car is this? I said, it's my car. Well, I, don't, I can't tell you the times. Mm-hmm. That question was mm-hmm. asked. So I said, open the trunk. I said, well, if you want the trunk open, you got the keys. You open it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you mouthing off, too. Oh, yeah. But he told me, right. I'm about to say, right there in New Jersey, outside the Lincoln Town. He told me, he said, I'll take this stick and bust your black head. I said, well, you ain't going to do that with that stick. Because I was studying Joe Do. I, I was, I, oh, man, yeah, I the was. martial arts. Yeah, he was not going to hit me with no stick. Right. I said, now you could shoot me. <laughs> he not gonna, he was, I ain't gonna, you ain't going to take no right, right, with right, no right. stick. Did he open the trunk? No, he's, you know, he put his hand on his gun. and I said, I mean, what'd you stop me for? It's my car. So when he opened the trunk, I had. A bunch of my records mm-hmm. in this trunk. Mm. And I had a lot of my station. I had my picture on everything. Mm. Oh, he's mad, mad, mad. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that was only one experience. I can imagine. I can imagine. Every time I pulled out anywhere in this country in a Cadillac, I got stopped. Mm. It got so on the, on, the, uh, on the New Jersey Turnpike. Well, this was not long ago. I had an 86... Silver Shadow. I, I'm the damn fool who want to ride in New York in a Rolls Royce. Mm-hmm. And it was dark brown and tan. Mm. Beautiful car. I wound up, could not get insurance in America. I had to get the Lords of London to insure the car for really? me. Really? Yeah. 
$8,000 a year insurance. Wow. Yeah. And listen to this. I had to pay a surcharge to drive on the turnpike in New Jersey, 200 a month. Oh, my God. Because I got so many tickets. That's crazy. Just so many tickets for nothing. That's crazy. Then I had to go to class. To, to, to maintain your license. To maintain my license. Oh they, oh, they hated you. So listen to this, though. This will get you. This this will get you, Jack. When I went down to in Trenton, you know, to when I co- complete the course, the sergeant, he was a state trooper, he said, now, I want to ask everybody a question. So I said, I don't know, I'm sitting, I just want to get out of there. Mm-hmm. He said, how many of you think going faster than this? Oh, no, so how fast you think you'll go? What is the safe speed above the speed limit? Right. And everybody raised their hand. Some guy said, well, 10 miles an hour. I said, okay. Another guy, five. So I raised my hand. I said, oh, five, six, seven miles an hour above the speed limit. He said, okay, good. Is that what you, all of you think? And everybody cut it He said, that's why all of you are here. <laughs> speed limit don't mean nothing to you. <laughs> so I thought of that attitude. The way they would stop you and ask you for your license and station were completely disrespectable. Yes. Like he was not even a human being. Mm-hmm. But this it, this all happened in New Jersey. Mm. But that was a good guy. You know what I mean? Mm. That's my point that I'm trying to make. Okay. So going back to, to Cassius Clay. I jumped right ahead. <laughs> you, you got, you're got you building a relationship with him. And, and what was the relationship like, man? Well, every time I would go to Louisville, Cassius would come and he'd sit on the car. Man, I'm gonna get me one knees. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm a prize fighter. I'm gonna, blah, 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 blah. so it got so I really liked him. Right. I really liked him, and his personality. Yes, because a wonderful man. Yes, and every time I would go down there, he'd come around, and he'd see my car, he'd come out. So he started fighting. I started hearing about him, and he came in 1963 and fought Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. At the Madison Square, this was the old Madison Square Garden, mm. 8th Avenue and 49th Street. Okay. And um, he stayed at my house. It was the first newspaper strike, I believe. He mm. couldn't advertise the fight. But in the back of my car, him and Boudini start mm. rhyming. Mm-hmm. You know, fight like a butterfly, sting, sting like, like a, a bee, okay. eye, your hands can't They're talking all that talk. From one bird to another, we f- drove in my car with the top down singing these praises. He filled Madison Square Garden. He fought a boy called Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. To me, Doug Jones knocked him out in the first round. He didn't go down, but Doug hit him. Doug Jones. I mean, I said, oh, shit, we lost the fight. Damn. I think Ali won one round. Mm. We was on our way to the dressing room when it was, I just knew we had lost the fight. His first fight. Because we, I had wrote a song called Three Steps to the Crown. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug Jones, uh, Joe Frazier, and Sonny Liston. Mm. He was the last right. one on the list. So um, then I heard the winner, Cassius Clay. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that that fight was taken and given to Doug Jones. That's when I started, you know, said, oh, man, this shit is worse than this. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but he won. He won. He won. Mm. And... The reason why he won, he had almost 18,000 people in the garden mm. with a newspaper strike. Mm. No television, right. no nothing. 
because they wouldn't follow an athlete right. like they do now. So he was the draw, and they, they, he, we we, we, couldn't, we can't lose this guy. There you go. We can't lose this guy. There you go. So so you start seeing Ali, well, Cassius, it's rise good. to prominence. He was he, Cassius. He didn't change his name yet, but but didn't he take you to, didn't he come up to you one time and say, listen, man, I, I, you, you got to hear something. Didn't he take you to a, a lecture by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad? Yes, he did. Talk, yeah. talk, let's talk about that. Man. Yes, he did. And again, in that book, you see. Okay. Uh, to answer some of your questions we earlier was talking about, in this country, before the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, a black man had no clue of who he was. None. None whatsoever. Here is in a culture with no land, no language, no religion, no culture, and no family. No food. No, no food. No, no nothing. They, they're taking the music away from The you. only thing that we had was with them. Mm-hmm. But we had a little bit more than that. When the Ali, when Ali started telling me about Malcolm X, and he started telling me, man, you got to go to these meetings. Had, w- he, had he changed his name yet? or No, no, no. He was, but he told me he was going to do it. Right. We what, went up and listened to Minister Farrakhan. Right. At the place, uh, 158th Street. A young Farrakhan. A young Minister. Young Farrakhan. And, and when, when, when Cassius, and I keep saying this because I want to keep it chronological, when Cassius is telling you that he's going to change his name to Muhammad Ali, what, what are you saying? It like, do you, are you understanding him? Or? N- no, but whatever he did was okay with me. Right. But, but I didn't understand the concept. Mm-hmm. When I really got it, I went to Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. to Family's Day. Right. Again, you couldn't get in. It was packed. Jam. Mm-hmm. And here was this little man, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And it's, it's packed now with black people. Jam, yeah. Yeah, that's, and a couple of white policemen of course, around. Of yeah. <laughs> and you, and you're not, you don't know what's in store. No, no, I don't know what's in store. I'm just sitting there, me and Ali and mm-hmm. two, three other people, and everybody loving Ali. So I'm a Lakeham brother. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah. But uh, anyway, I start getting indoctrinated up at Palisade. Mm-hmm. No, that's not the name of it. But it was on 158th Street. It's gone now. When I heard a young Farrakhan mm. stand up there and start talking about manhood and brotherhood. And then to culminate that, I heard the Elijah Muhammad said, you are somebody when you believe you are somebody. Mm. Don't let nobody take that away from you. And man, for the first time in my life, I realized that I was somebody. And I... Why should I uh, be humiliated because of someone else's opinion of me? And I start thinking, this start running through my mind. I'm a nigga because I believe mm. I'm a nigga. Mm. I'm Lord. That's, that ain't my name, but, but that's what they call me. Right. And I stand as tall as any man. But what I'm saying, Jack, is that you're not, Nothing until you start believing that you are something. You be- what you are is what you believe. You, you are. are what you are. Right. And you are what you believe. And the truth is what you believe. No matter how big the lie is. We had been told lies for so long. So long. Until we start believing that as truth. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I start believing a second class citizenship was natural, natural. for us. Because that's yeah. all you knew. Yeah. And I knew nothing else. Right. When somebody white came up, I would back away. Mm. I didn't know nothing else to do mm. until I started listening to Elijah Muhammad. And and how, how how did your attitude change? Oh, man. 
were you were you were you angry first and foremost? Yeah. Was was there anger inside of you? I was I was both angry and arrogant. Mm-hmm. I, well, what really did it for me is when the riots start in sixty seven, sixty eight. Mm-hmm. When you start getting on the elevator and white people start opening the door for you and backing up and uh, and you notice there's a fear. And yeah, I and, said, ah, ah, courage. Elijah spoke about courage. Have a courage to stand up as a man. Mm. Have a courage to stand up as somebody, and you will be respected as somebody. Mm. And I notice around the world, if you take a back seat, that's what you got. And I refuse to be called an African-American. Why? Because I lived in Africa, and not one African ever called me Hmm. nothing but a black American. Mm-hmm. I accept that to the bottom of my heart. That you're an American. How, I'm an American. Right. How can, how no other man come here, an Irishman, an Englishman, a German, a Jew, a Cuban, he is called, could take the pledge, take the pledge, get a green card, take the pledge, and he's a full-blown, full-blown American. American. I've been here 500 years. <laughs> and why should I be an African-American? I don't know nothing about Africa. Right. Love it. Love Africa. But I could never be an African. I've lived over there. I only know how to live as an American. Mm. You know, not as a white man. Uh, I'm a black man who lives in America. You're an American. I, I'm an American. American. And I didn't, I didn't go to the Army as an African-American. I went as an American soldier. Yes. So I, I really, really, really kind of detest that when people start telling me, because I've lived in Africa. Don't tell me. I'm an African-American. This is something I believed all my life. I was told by the white man I was an African. I was from Africa. Go back to Africa, you you bangy, mm. and eat pe- black Africans. They eat each other. I heard that all my life. Mm. I was scared to go to Africa. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I was scared to go. That's crazy. Yeah. Now, now, now as this, as did you ever get a chance to, to, to meet um, Malcolm X? No, man. You know, I was going to go. That so I think it was a Sunday. Malcolm got mm. got shot. Right. Muhammad was coming in town that Monday. We was gonna go up to the temple on 116th Street and have some bean pie and meet <laughs> Malcolm. <laughs> but it was a bad day. Right. Right. He, right, he, right. he was gone. Right. And then and then you start seeing now that now that we're standing up, the country is becoming a lot more violent. I now, am, now the assassinations start happening. But there's no peace without blood. There's I, no peace without blood. It ain't gonna happen. Right. You ain't gonna get nothing for nothing. The the powerful have never given the powerless nothing but more pain, mm. and that's all you're gonna get. You gotta stand and and look him in the eye, and let him know that death is death, and everybody dies. Mm. But I don't mean you should be a, a gangster, right? But I mean, don't be no bitch either. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want I want to talk about one of your songs, man. That like like as you're going through this change. Is your music changing? Yes. Uh, fortunately, I uh, kind of understood what I was doing. In fact, I'm working on some new music now. Okay. Well, it, it's going with my life story and okay. all that stuff. But in between, I've been a manufacturer of food, and and I want to get to that. Okay. But but you know, let's <laughs> let's talk about this record, man, because this is this is a another big record, man. And this is what you became known as. That's that formula, the big band. Okay. When did you make this record? 
1959. One take again. One take. I was getting ideas of, uh, you know, just that one word that people could remember. Everybody had a personality. So I said, all I got to do is find a way to make it look. So you walk with personality, you talk, you smile, and that's the hook. Such a big record, man. Oh, yeah. It's been recorded in 17 different languages. Such a big record. Yeah. And you're controlling your songs. Yes. Huge. Uh, two years ago, it was the... Uh, We sold football jerseys the whole season with this song. This is crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> now, now, so, okay, we could sit here and talk forever about your music career, but there's so many other things that you started. I want to take a quick break, you know, give the audience a quick break, and we come back, and then we continue on this journey, this incredible journey with Mr. Personality. Lloyd Price. Thank, thank you, Jack. Internet, you tune into the Combat Jack Show, the CombatJackShow.com, F your radio, F your podcast, and F your TV show. Bang, bang. Internet, this portion of the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by Bevel, the premier shaving system designed specifically for people with coarse and curly hair. Internet, it's Father's Day season. Don't get him no whack tie. Don't get him no sock. Don't get him no underwear boxer brief whatever don't know i'm saying don't get him no shirt he don't like you 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 the fathers in your life internet i'm a father of four and i'm about to tell you something that's really personal to me i never like your gifts fathers don't like your gifts because you give them the worst gifts ever i got it here for you guys right now if you don't know what to get the fathers in your life this is it go to getbevel.com Punch in promo code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T, for 20% off all your purchases. Yo, yo, listen, for real, I rarely like the gifts my family gives me for Father's Day. But if they gave me that box, ooh-wee, they'd have me shaving like a boss, like a man, like a king. Have your king shave like a king. Go to getbevel.com, promo code COMBAT, 20% off, have him shaving like a king, and raise the bar. Internet, you tune into the Combat Jack Show, the CombatJackShow.com. We're sitting here with the incredible Mr. Personality, Mr. Lloyd Price. Sir, when did you move to Africa? How did you find yourself in Africa? Well, um, in 1968, yes. uh, I was living in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and a friend of mine, it was the only black jock on a radio station, Steve Bird on a 50,000-watt station in Mm -hmm. Philadelphia, invited me to lunch in Washington to meet with a black ambassador. I couldn't believe it. Black ambassador? Ambassador Moses Deborah. You know, I said, Ebenezer Moses Deborah. I went to his house, and they, the dinner, it was, to me, it was dinner. It was lunch. They served chicken with a peanut gravy. Mm. I, I got to go to Africa. Right. That food was so good. What country was it? Was it from? He was from Ghana. From Ghana. And Neru, uh, uh, Nkrumah. Kwame Nkrumah. Qu- yes, he was the president. President. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it, it was like, well, of course, he freed Africa. Right. 
I said, I got to go to Africa. Well, fortunately. Well, he he was president of Ghana. Yeah. So he liberated Ghana from. Yeah, but it was all under oppression. Right. Every It was, it was 50, all colonized. All 50 states was right. colonized. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And when he became uh, the first black president, well, it's ju- it just like here. It set the trend. It set the trend. Right. Absolutely right. And before Rosa Parks sat on the bus, blacks were still going to the back. Right. I mean, faithfully. Yes. So so you go you go to Ghana. I, no, no. I went to Washington, D.C. You went to Washington. To his house. Right. And that got my mind rolling right. about going to Africa. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I knew Don King. Don King uh, had this club in Cleveland called a Corner Tavern, mm-hmm. and there was two clubs. One called Leo's, and Don King was the other. Okay, but Don was mostly for jazz and stuff like that. Right. So, and what kind of cat? How did you know Don? Well, I'm gonna tell you right now. Okay. The guy that I really knew, Harold Logan, who was almost like a me- he was my mentor. Mm-hmm. Harold Logan knew a guy in Cleveland called Scatterbrains. They both were graduates from West Virginia State. Uh, Harold, Harold Logan controlled the numbers in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, mm. uh, Massachusetts, and parts of Ohio. Scatterbrands controlled the pinball machines, mm. the jukeboxes, anything that took in coins. Right. They both were graduates from West Virginia. Okay. Don King turned his numbers in. Both were also number men. Five cents in a dream will get you 600. Mm. That was the slogan. <laughs> Don King turned his numbers into scatterbrains. The pitcher shaft, that's scatterbrain. Okay. That's the character they use. I didn't forgot what they called him in shaft. But that whole story is based around the life of scatterbrain. Okay. Who ran that part of the world. Right. I met Don King six o'clock one morning when he came six over. Six in the morning. Yeah, came over to Scatterbrain's house mm-hmm. to get another something about number business. You know what I mean? And he said, "Man, all you guys go over there and work at Leo's. Nobody works my place." I said, "Man, listen, I ain't never worked Leo's. You got the wrong dude." Right. <laughs> you know. I said, but what, what were you doing there at Scatterbrain? Yeah. Scatter was a good friend of my manager. Okay. Logan. They Logan, went to West right. Virginia State. Right, right, right. So, yeah. So you were hanging out there. Yeah, just yeah, a bunch of birds, mm-hmm. you know. And <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so you so so you met Don King when he came to argue with with, with Scatter. And madness son of a gun. Because right. he was he came when he he was, you know, disturbing the party. Mm. So Scatter said, Come on, come on, meet Lord Price. Come on, man, come on, come on, meet Lord Price. Because just because was on fire. Right. Meet Lord Price, man. You know, he said for the Gleasons, you know, there's a club out there called Gleasons. Okay. I was going to work. Right. A jazz club. Right. Because I went either way, jazz or whatever. Anyway, he, I met Don King. He said, man, you, why don't you come work my club, man? <laughs> so, I decided to go by there and see what it was. Cause why? What was it about Don, man? Because he impressed me. You know, right. I said. Because you didn't speak like that to No. Right. See, here's a guy got a lot of ambition, you know right. what I mean? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of <laughs> ain't, ain't afraid to die. No. Right. He talked to Scatter like that, you know what I mean? <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you about Scatter, okay. what kind of wild man it was. Mm-hmm. Scatter had a restaurant at 105th Street. Mm-hmm. He bet a guy $100, he'll go from his restaurant on 105th Street. I told you this, Fox. Mm-hmm. He bet a guy $100, $100. He's making all kinds of money. Mm-hmm. That he'll drive all the way down to Ninth Street, 
downtown without stopping for a red light, going 100 miles an hour as fast as he could go. What? Yeah. And he did it. Wow. And Logan should say, man, whoever named Scatterbrains was a genius. Right. Because they didn't... They didn't nickname this guy. <laughs> so through Scatterbrains, I met Don King. Right. So you go to Don's club. I go over there and it just got that he got Mac Duff, Jimmy MacDuff, and you know Jimmy MacDuff and uh, the organ. You know the B three mm-hmm. was happening at mm-hmm. that time, mm-hmm. and uh, he would play Shirley Scott and T- Stanley Turrentine. Those folks those thrills. Right. right, right. So I said, man, you can't get my drum set in this joint. You know what I mean? He said, well, I'll make it bigger. I'll make it bigger. He built a place at a 78th and Cedar, like the Copacabana. Specifically? Specifically for my you. big band. Right, right, right. And we, we was buddies ever since right. then. So when his daughter, on her fifth birthday, I happened to be out in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And I owed a call to Muhammad Ali. Now, um, well, he was Cassius Clay at that right, time. Right, right, So I said, oh, shoot, I got a call cast. He hadn't even fought for uh for the... Had he fought? Doug? Yeah, he had fought Doug Jones. Right. He had fought Joe Frazier. Yeah. So he said, "I'm talking to Ali." He said, "Man, is is is, is that is that is that Cash?" I said, "Yeah, man. Let me speak to Cash." <laughs> I love the I love the way you do, Don King, man. <laughs> hey, champ. Hey, champ. How you doing, my man? Man, oh man, I sure love to meet you. Bada 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 bada. So he went on and on. <laughs> And I had Cash to sing happy birthday to his daughter. His daughter, okay. So he, that's how they met, through you. Yeah. Saying happy birthday yeah, to, to his, his daughter. daughter. Right. Yeah. So, but then Don had built this fabulous club. A little white girl had got raped by some black guy. Mm. So we give a price for sight, you know, because she, she lost one of her eyes during the rape. So Don said, man, let's raise some money and give it to this family, you know, because it was a white kid raped. By some black guy, mm-hmm. so he did that. But what was it? What was he thinking? Was he thinking like this is? I, I don't know what he he was thinking more of the corner tavern at that time, right? Getting more people in the joint, right? Because they had Johnny Nash come out there. So he was trying to raise his profile. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, okay, absolutely. Right. Always H- e- hustling. Even, so let's let's get this even, money. Even now, right? Let's do the <laughs> let's do it the American way, and let's get this 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 poor little white. Kids some money. We got we raised more money for her than the plain dealer. Mm. Plain dealer. Right. That's the biggest newspaper in Cleveland. Okay. Raise well, they, eight, they were always also trying to raise money. Raise eight eight hundred. That right. one afternoon. So now Don's on the map. Right. Black hospital get in trouble. I happen to be out there again because I me and him got to be real tight. Right. He said, "Man, you think get our lead to come out here?" I said, "Uh, no, cash is to get." I said, "Yeah, we get him to come out here." So I call and Gene Kilroy, the one white boy, was with Ali from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. I called and Gene and Gene called me back and says, "What's up?" So he said, "Well, if any any foxes out there?" I said, "Man, they're everywhere. <laughs> they're robbing the chicken coop." Right. <laughs> so I, Cassius took the phone and said, "You ain't bullshit." I said, "No, man. We got some foxes here." Man, listen. It, I said, and then I'm with the two strongest pimps, mm. Scatterbrands and Logan. Right. I mean, that's the that's like water. So come on out here, man. They came out there. Came out for a fundraiser for a hospital. Did maybe another ten or twelve thousand. Mm. But Ali did a little shadow boxing and stuff during that time. And Don got got just in his head because he's so 
ambitious, he start wanting to be a fight promoter. Instantly. So all of the local f- uh, fighters around town, he had getting that number money every day. Mm-hmm. He could afford gym fees and all that stuff mm-hmm. for him. And he started doing local fights around Cleveland. Mm. And uh, before you know it, we was in Madison Square Garden. 13 fight week, 13 week fight contract. Mm. And then Ali, no, and then Ali fought, no, this is all before Ali fought, after Ali fought Fraser. I'm going to lay it myself. The biggest pay was ever to any entertainer or any athlete was two and a half million for their work. Two and a half million, right. That was Joe Frazier and Ali. They got a total of five million dollars. Right. So Don said, man, you think we get, you know, get a fight of George Foreman and Ali? Now George got the, the title, mm-hmm. you know, but they ain't making no money. Right. Nobody was making any money. Will Mays was getting 100000 I believe. Wow. Mickey Mantle was getting 120000 Wow. You know? So Don said, well, man, they ain't going to believe no. They ain't, the niggas ain't going to believe us. <laughs> How are we going to get them to fight? Right. So Don, being who he is, said, let's do a Kansas City bankroll. Get a whole stack of 10s and 20s and 5s, put them in the bag, and go to the champ, who was George Foreman. Mm-hmm. Kansas City bankroll. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Did that. Uh-huh. And he had a... George's manager name was Dick Sadler. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't even let, let Don go in the room to right. talk to George. So Don said, man, let me go in and say hello to the man. I'm all the way down. George had in Philadelphia, because I was living in Philadelphia. Right. So uh, George had a problem there. You know, he had a problem with a little bird. Okay. And getting no money. Right. You know what I mean? So Don went in there and talking to George, talking to George, talking to George. Dumped that Kansas City bankroll on the bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> George eyes got that freaking big, you know what I mean? So what? How much money you gonna pay us? First thing off the pop of his head was they got five million, mm. Ali and Frazier. He said five million. Mm. So he said he just invented it, out, pulled it out the sky. Is that a piece? Right. Five million a piece. And you listening to him say this? Yes. Five million a piece. <laughs> what the. <laughs> George signed blank contracts. And all you got to do now is get Ali to sign. To sign. Right. And then. And, and now are you like, yo, yo, King, what the fuck are you doing? No, because I was understanding the whole game. Right. You know, I'm I'm living with these guys. I right, know, right, right, right. Yeah. The hustle game is so crazy. Oh, my mentor was one of the King hustlers. Right. He told me, he said, you know, you keep eye on Don. You, right. know, you watch them. Yeah, yeah, watch him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I really like Don. Right. I mean, we're the best friends through today. That's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, how did you guys end up going to Africa? What happened was, Don went to remember it was a, at that time it was closed circuit. There was no pay for view and right. all that shit. You had to get a room and put cameras in there mm-hmm. and screen and people pay to come in and mm-hmm. see the fight. Mm-hmm. When these people found out that that this had happened, that Don had got George Foreman to sign the contract, he went to a little company called Video Technique. Had maybe three or four rooms as an office space, but they controlled the guy who was the president of the company invented that little camera. You know, 
he controlled, controlled the close the close caption. He controlled that grid. Yeah, right. the, you know, catch catch that picture. Right. He decided to be a partner, mm -hmm. but nobody in America would take the fight. Right. Thought they thought that you were completely insane. The ten million dollars for a prize fight? Are you serious? Plus expenses? Are you serious? So Don went all over the world. I was not with him. He went right. to England. He went everywhere. But I think David Frost and uh, John Daly, the guy that produced the uh, the Last Emperor, yes, and platoons, yes, uh, they put up the first million and a half for ancillary rights. Mm -hmm. Smart. Couldn't get a dime here in America. Right. So Don was in Paris. It was a black guy walking down the Champs Elysees. Don thought he knew him from behind, and he tried to catch him. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. And he turned around, and the guy starts speaking to him in German. <laughs> I want to tell you what he said. So Don said, man. Well, you know, I, you can curse on here, too. It's, 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 it's okay. Fine. I thought I knew you. I thought I knew you. He said, no, brother. No, brother. You don't know me. He said, but you look just like some of them because I know in Cleveland, man. Long story short, this guy was an assistant to Mobutu, Seko. Mm. In the Belgium Congo, the Belgium Congo had just changed their name to Zaire. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, they get into this conversation. Don said, "Man, I got just a shit for you." Said, "You know, I could bring the Ali man." They said, "The world loves Ali. I could bring Ali and George Foreman their championship fight." So every newspaper in the world would be that brings six thousand newspapers, a hundred thousand people to come down there. The word and the name Zaire will be forever, you mm. know, in history. Memorialized, right? Yeah, because we'll bring the biggest fight in the world down there. We first was calling it the, I mean, the Festival in Zaire. Mm -hmm. We took more black people down there that had been down there in over 400 years. Did, 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 did this, so this guy believed in Don. What he did was Don convinced him that he could do this. Don had copies of these contracts. Right, he had the contract. And everybody knew now right. Ali and George Foreman. Right. So this guy knew that this kind of attraction will get the press down to the Belgium and Congo. get all these people down there. Get all these people down there. Right. They got on the airplane and left Paris and went straight to Kinshasa, mm. which at that time was the biggest city in the Belgium, probably still is. Right. And met Mobutu. Mobutu. Mobutu bought the idea in 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And it took six months to, to redo the studio. I mean the stadium, the stadium and all that stuff. Man, I, I love Built, get buses, do the whole paint all the strips of the street. I love the documentary, man, when we were kings. And and internets, if you have not seen that, you definitely gotta see. Came out several years ago, but it's a documentary documenting the whole this whole thing, this rumble in the jungle. I thing. produced it. You produced it. It was the whole we did four hundred and eighty five thousand feet of film. Well, digital. We so, did so, so you knew at that time that to, to to capture it. It was the first. Was yes. it was it your idea to film the whole thing? I took Chipmunk down there, the guy who did Woodstock, mm -hmm. and twelve camera crews. Right. Don King. We talked. Uh, how do how let's do this? We stepping out. We gonna have the first transatlantic digital film ever shown around the world. Mm. What happened was how the film got out of our control is when George Foreman got his eye cut. Right. The fight was delayed for 
six weeks mm -hmm. until George's eye healed. Right, during training, right? Was it training? That's or? right. At the end of a training session, right. playing around, guy bumped him in the eye. Mm -hmm. Took six weeks. September the 24th, it was supposed to happen. It didn't happen until October 30th. Right. So what happened was... A lot of people pissed off that it didn't happen on a due yeah, date. Oh, man, we lost all the venues right. around the world. Right. There was no hockey, no basketball, no nothing. Right. September the mm -hmm. 24th, mm -hmm. October 31st, right. all these events, all these big arenas are taken. Mm -hmm. So what happened? The film... I mean, the festival went on the 24th of September. The festival meaning the music festival. The music festival, the one and, and, when and, we were kings. Right, what and, the, and, and all the artists. Who were some of the artists that you had down there? We had Bill Withers. Yes. Had Mary McKeeba, Hugh yes. Master Keeler, mm -hmm. Sister Sledge, mm -hmm. uh, Mondo the Bongo, uh, B.B. King, mm -hmm. Remains So Rest in Peace. Yes. Uh, uh, Johnny Nash, Etta James was down there, uh, uh, The Spinners. Um, the spinners was was James down there? James Brown. James Brown was our star, right? He was because the, he was the headliner. He was the headliner, right? So the festival went on because yeah, because Aretha was supposed to mm -hmm. go, Marvin was supposed to go, right. and Stevie Wonder's. Well, they right. all canceled out, right? And we ain't going to Africa, right? 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 Yeah. So, but was this your first time? This is your first time going to Africa, and uh, yes, right. To spend that kind of time down there, right? Man, I got there and loved it. That music and that food. And, 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 and what was different about the African women from the American women? <laughs> no, ba no backbones. No backbones. What do you mean? <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? Like they didn't, they, they didn't, give, me that, they didn't give me that back? They didn't, they didn't? There was no backbone. Really? Yes, sir. <laughs> so you fell in love. It's amazing. Right. I love... <laughs> <laughs> no filter. No, no. But it's just a different. The American woman is different from all the women in the world. And I've been on all six continents. Mm -hmm. They are a different kind of warmth. There's just something hmm. different. And not that these other people of the world are submissive. Because right now, CNN and all these daytime stories is spreading this shit everywhere. Yeah, it's, yes. it's, 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 well, that's just going to be hot. Yeah, you know, it's almost there. But 40 years ago, it was a big difference. 40 right. years ago, the women walked 10 paces behind the man really? in Japan. Okay. All that's true. Right. But it ain't like that today. Of course. They stand, mother, mother, mother. Yeah. Yeah, you stand <laughs> right in front of you. So, so, slap you. So you, you guys survived the festival, right? The festival's a success. Yeah. But you don't have a fight. But when the fight is a month later, how, how did you guys pull that together? Well, what happened was... Everybody left because mm -hmm. all our charters was only there for a week. Right. All the people down there was only there for one week. For one week. The hotel and all that stuff was new. It was an intercontinental hotel. Mm -hmm. They figured all these rich people from America, they couldn't even pay for food. Oh, sign, sign, sign. Pay when you get ready to leave. They were signing Kiss My Ass Jake, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. Nobody paid. Nobody paid. Because the, every, the fight you, didn't happen. That fight didn't happen. Right. But they knew it was going to happen on October 31st. Mm -hmm. The hotel was not ready for all these, because nobody is speaking Swahili and speaking French. Somehow, everybody checked out of the hotel. Mm. They left a $280,000 bill. Mm. Okay. So what I was going to tell you was, when you said we lost all of the footage. For, no, we didn't lose the footage. The film. We lost 
we lost the fight date. The fight date, right. Yeah. We lost the footage. But when we had to ship the footage out of the country, here what it was. Liberia was paying for the film, the mm -hmm. festival, mm -hmm. and Zaire was paying for the fight. Mm -hmm. There wasn't speaking. The two governments was not speaking. The government of Liberia put up $3 million to do that film. They said, listen, do not let the film hit the ground in Zaire. We hate those people, you know. So we had to get the film out every morning at 6 o'clock on the 6 o'clock Pan American Airplane and get it into Liberia. When Ali, I mean, when uh, George got his eye cut, all the footage was in Liberia. Right. The whole 24th Festival and all the time leading up to that, mm -hmm. all his film is in Liberia. Right. The guy who was paying for it bought a new Learjet, I mean, a, a G3 or whatever that was back during that time. Went up in it, came down, loved it, went up again. Nobody ever saw him again. The film was on hiatus for almost 18 years. Mm. And the director kept telling me that, oh, no problem, we're going to get it, because he was being paid by the Liberian government, which it was our responsibility, international films, which we owned, but right. we was partners with that group. Right. And they hid the film so long until they stole it. Mm. Stole it. Then a guy called uh, David Sonnenberg. Somebody stole it. David Sonnenberg, a little lawyer, and the, and the guy who directed, mm -hmm. Leon Gass. Mm -hmm. They stole it. Stole it. That's right. what they did. Okay. And got, a, and got an Oscar. Amazing, 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 amazing film. Talk about the fight, though, man. Let's talk about the fight. Talk about the energy of that fight, man. The fight took place about 4 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. It was, you couldn't get in the stadium. It was about 124,000 people mm -hmm. out there. And nobody, they all knew how to say Ali Bumbaye. Ali Bumbaye. Ali, kill him. Kill him. Because George had brought in the German two, shepherds. two big German shepherds. Right. And that's what these Zawarians was always afraid of because the Belgians. That's what the, the German shepherds. That's right. Right. That's right. But it was it was a one of the most amazing things, Jack, that I'd ever seen in my life. I had never seen anything like that. Could you imagine going to sleep and wake up and see nothing but Chinese? Right away you're gonna think in China. Right. Well, I was awake in Africa and didn't see nothing but black people. Black, I'd I, never seen that before in my life. How did that feel, man? Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. What a thrill. The bus driver, the guy flying the airplane, the cook, the hotel man. The president. The president. The generals. I mean, unbelievable. I, I, got to, I got to live here. Right. For the first time in my life, I felt free. Completely free, right? Completely free. Right. Well, I didn't look around and see a white guy. Right. You <laughs> do know, you, do you encourage anyone or everyone to to, to experience that? Absolutely. I, I mean, you're not totally educated until you have this feeling as a black human being that there is somewhere in the world where you could feel free. Right. Now, right now, you know, with all these CNNs and all this stuff. Flashing all this stuff over the world. The governments are getting a little different. But I'm talking about when it was raw. When it was raw. When it was really raw. What do you mean? You mean the governments now getting a little gentrified? And, uh, oh, they're getting more, uh, uh, let's say, westernized. Right. Yes. But, and the weaves and all that stuff. Mm. <laughs> and 
the women are changed. They're right. changing. Right, 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 right. But man, back during the day, I can't tell you, Jack. It yeah. was a lot of fun. It's crazy. I moved to Nigeria because right. it was so tranquil. I mean, I had never experienced anything as, as good as the feeling inside that I got. Did you want to come back? I wanted to come back because... To the States. Yes. I'm going to tell you why I wanted to come back. I wanted to come back because I'm, I'm an American. Right. That's why I wanted to come back. I didn't understand the tradition. Mm-hmm. I imagine if I'd lived over there the rest of my life, I never would have understand, understood the village. Right. I couldn't speak the language. I didn't understand the culture. Right. I didn't understand any of that Because stuff. it was, it, it, even though you, you know, you were home on a grander sense. That's right. It still wasn't your country. Every man on earth have a motherland. Yes. And I thought I had found it, but then I hadn't. Until one day, one of my African brothers, mm-hmm. he says, Lied, he, this is what he told me. He said, Lied, every man is from somewhere. And this is where I got this. Uh, Cuban is from Cuba. Spanish man is from Spain. An English man is from England. Frenchman is from France, and so on and so on. Nationality. Yes. He says, where are you from? I says, well, I'm from Africa. He said, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. He said, if you was from Africa, I would recognize you. I said, how would you recognize me? He said, Africans got maize. They mark their nose. They, right. said, they got something that I know he's from. We would not be from the same tribe. We not even hear each other's language. But you are from some other place. He said, maybe you are a nigger. Oh. Manufactured in America. Mm. <laughs> How'd you take that? I took it because I really didn't have an answer for it. Right. I said, well, so is Cadillacs. Mm. And if the American white man is the smartest man on earth, and he is, according to whatever books you read. In America. In America. It's 500 years old, youngest country in the world, the most progressive, the Biggest economics, the most money. Every country on earth take dollars. Mm. Your money I can't spend in an airport. Mm. So I said that to say, if he is the smartest man in the world, if he's the smartest man in the world, I'm a black man who have done nothing but serve him. Mm. And I've survived. No land, no language, no culture, no religion, no bank, no army, no nothing. And I'm over here to give my respects to you. If he's the smartest man in the world, how smart you think I am? Mm. <laughs> you never lost your land, mm-hmm. never lost your language, never lost your culture, and you've been impressed. Right. You still your whole industry now is being your whole infrastructure is being ran by some other man. Mm. You are general in the army, but only thing you control is the little minority people. Right. You don't control the power. And that's when you ask me about Africa. It's a little different now, but then it was the British, the French, right. the Belgians, was chopped up. The Lebanese was chopped up. Absolutely, it was chopped up. Absolutely. You know, um, I want to talk about some of your relationships, man. You know, we just lost BB King, man. Yeah. And and you've worked with. I mean, he's been. Man, instrumental. BB was on the show in the Rumble in the Jungle. Right. And B is one of the big acts that they understood. Mm-hmm. When I tell you about the language, you know, the Swahili yes. and the French and all the other languages, 
they understood the blues. B.B. Mm. King blew them out, blew them out that night. Right. What kind of person was he, man? He was a very nice. B.B. King happened to be one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life, and I knew him. I knew him well. It's it's amazing, man. I mean, of course we know you know that 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 passing away is is inevitable, man. But you know, we just lost BB, man. Yeah, man. We just we just lost the king. We just lost the king. We did. There was nobody like B, and this guy was genuine. He was a, just a genuine nice man. Right. And I'm happy that he had ninety. I mean, eighty nine years here on mm-hmm. this life. Mm-hmm. In. Uh, God blessed us. Yes. What a gem. Now another person, man, that 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 you have had a relationship with, man, is James Brown, man. The Godfather Soul. Let's, let's talk about James, man. James was there was nobody like James that I had ever met. I right. met James. James happened to have been one of the first people I met when I came out the army. Really? That's how long I really? knew James. Yeah. He knew who I was, right. and I met him in the Teresa Hotel. You didn't know who he was. I didn't have no idea who he was. He right. called me Mr. Price. Always called me Mr. Mr. Price. Mr. Price. Mr. Price. I could I could scream and key. I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> and he started screaming in the lobby in the, the lobby. Teresa in the, to impress you. I got on my army suit. Right. I said, "Who are you, boys? I'm James Brown. We got a record out. James Brown and the Flames." I think it was Try Me or Please, Please, Please. Mm, one of those. One of those. And he starts singing it for me to right there in the uh, in the lobby. That's amazing. Now, right there on the, on the side, there was a lounge. They had bands in there. You couldn't get in there in the afternoon for matinees. You could not get in the whole... This is when Harlem was Harlem. Man, music and every... Almost like in New Orleans and the Bourbon Street. Mm-hmm. James Brown was standing trying to get in. And he went in with me in the lounge and the Teresa... Oh. And he got me, he got to take me on the road. I said, I ain't going, I don't know what I'm going to do. Right. But I never, ever, ever lost respect for him. Right. And we stayed in touch. And let's see, I, maybe it was 10 months I hadn't spoken to him when he died because he had started, been traveling a lot. Right, right, right. But James and I used to talk at least once or twice a month. Mm. I went down to Aikenser's house a few times. Yeah, produced, me and Butch Lewis mm. produced that pay-for-view he right, had when right, he got right, out right, of jail. right, right. right. Yeah, man, it's like all the good ones, man. Even but Butch Lewis is no longer here, man. Yeah, Butch left, man. Maybe what three years ago? A couple of years ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Man. And and uh, Benny King. Benny King, yeah. Percy Sledge. Percy Sledge. Let's talk about somebody else, man. Uh, Fox was telling me, man, that 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 you had a great relationship with uh, with Marvin Gaye, man. Marvin was my man. Let's talk about Marvin, man. What, what was Marvin like, man? Marvin. Marvin always seemed to have been on a, a little on the edge, you know. I always heard he was a peculiar, he was. haunted man. He was. Right. Marvin didn't have any confidence in Marvin. But listen to the talent. I mean, he didn't have this confidence. When he went to Europe, he was treated not that well at Motown. Really? Because... Do this sound like a, like a Motown record? No, not at all. That was the problem. Right. And he was married to Anna, Barry's which, sister. Which, which, was, which was turmoil. Conflict. That whole Hear My Dear album is is, 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 is torture. I mean, it's a brilliant, torturous masterpiece. <laughs> Drove Marvin insane. Right. But the guy was one of the most talented and one of the nicest people that I'd met. And he was a 
good friend of Don. Don loved it. Really? Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine you and Don and Marvin hanging out. Like, what, what the hell was y'all doing other than chasing them foxes? Nothing but fox trucks. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. um, did you guys ever talk about your music? And No. See, I always was a, a little ahead of all this. I never got high. Right. Don, he drank. And you never drank? No, never drank. And so you're around all these people. Yeah. And, and who own all these establishments. And why why did you never drink? I was the L7. Okay. Square. I owned the biggest nightclub on Broadway. Yes, yes, yes. Never did drink. Never, what was it What was it about it that, that kept you, like, not even curious? When I was 11 years old, my oldest brother had a club there in Kenner, and I would watch the bar for him. Mm-hmm. And everybody would come in and ask for this or that kind of alcohol. Right. So I said, what do they say this? So one afternoon, the guy came in and asked for some Hennessy's. Mm-hmm. So my brother asked me to tend to the bar while he go in, into the bathroom. So I'm going to try this. So I pulled me about a little half a glass of this stuff. It's Hennessy, right? It's Hennessy, and I'm going to try it. Down here, the toilet flushing. Oh, I said, oh he's coming back. Man, I almost passed out. Right. I could I couldn't ha- I had no voice. I guess that's why I that, didn't, it was just horrible. That, that did it. Right, 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 right. And I tried to smoke when I was a pin boy at the bowling alley. Mm-hmm. And instead of inhaling it, I swallowed the smoke. Okay. That was that. That was it. Tears on my oh, man. I thought it was coming through my ears. Right. Now it's funny, we spoke uh, a couple of months ago and uh, you know, you have something very a lot of things similar to my late great um, father-in-law, Teddy Van. He never drank, he never smoked, but you also knew him. I did know Teddy. Teddy was another gentleman. Right. How did you meet Teddy, man? They had 1650 Broadway where all the songwriters would hang out. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of studios in there. Right. Uh, I had an office in there. Okay. And Teddy was it. Teddy was in there. I don't know if his office was in there or was, in a, or was it in a bill building. But those two buildings was almost like sister buildings. Right. You know, everybody in the 1650 would go to the Bill Building. The Bill, right. the Bill Building had a restaurant in it. Okay. So did 1650. Right. But I used to see Teddy almost every day. Every day I saw Teddy. We got to be real cool. Mm. Yes. You know, he's the one that. And set- I was amazed when you said that, that was your father-in-law. Yeah, my father-in-law. He set me up in, in Rosemary McCoy's office. Is that right? Which which is where I got my start. Hey, what is amazing? In, which is saw crazy. her here tonight. Yeah. Well, no, no, you saw Louise West. I mean, Louise, Louise West. Rosemary Rose McCoy. McCoy the song, yeah, right. Rosemary and Luther Dixon. Rosemary, right. I got about 11 of her songs in, in, that I published. Now, you know, a, another thing that, that you put together is, first and foremost, you were managing Emmanuel Lewis. Emmanuel Lewis, yes. Uh, now, now how did you get into the managing wow. business? My limousine driver <laughs> used to drive Emmanuel and his mother. Okay. He introduced me to Emmanuel mm-hmm. and uh, his mother. And, you know, she just was a lady who had been married. Had I think she had three or four kids. Right. Didn't know anything about the business. And, right. And, I, man, I forgot the driver's name. He, he, he brought her up to the office one day and we started talking. She asked me what I do, Emmanuel. So, yes. So I gave him an idea about before kids for, kids for us. Mm-hmm. That was my idea for Emmanuel. Okay, which was which was a uh, kids kids clothing. Okay, Johnny Cochran was going to be the lawyer for the deal. And really? It, yeah, it turned out where it didn't. Oh, it's a million. I used to tell Fox about all these deals. It, they thought I was insane because I'm thinking. You thinking all of it now is here on, on Wall right, Street? Right, 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 right. So, so did Emmanuel lead you to Michael Jackson? 
Yes, he did. Right. I went out to uh, when Don was going to do the the victory tour. Right. With the Jackson. Right. Michael Jackson took an apartment right up over Emmanuel's apartment. Mm-hmm. And that's how they met. I don't know. I think they might have met once before, but right. I know that Michael should come down to to Emmanuel's apartment and they would play like little boys on right. the floor. With Did toys. you think that was strange or not? I thought that was strange. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> so you meet Michael and Don is putting together this tour, but Michael's relationship with his brothers wasn't that it was strong. not that great. No. And and but. Don knows now that you know Michael. That's right. And and how did you convince Michael to be a part of the Victory Tour, man? Well, we got just started talking about Don. Oh, you know Don. You know Don King. Yeah. So I said, I understand you guys are going to go on a tour. Right. And one thing led to another. I knew Don. Man, we got it. But it, it was Lily Manuel. Right. Emmanuel was the glue. Yeah, he was the glue. Now you know you. This tour was successful. This tour made a lot of money. Yes. But this tour also was the last time that Michael would perform with his brothers. That's right. What what, what was it, man? Do you know what it was? I mean, because you, you 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 were part of that. What was what was it? Well, I don't know the internal what went on internally with Michael and his brothers. Right. But I do know the relationship was not that great. Mm-hmm. Michael had been working, you know, as a little boy. I mean, him being the, being the baby, right. he had brought that whole group along. Mm-hmm. And then when he did that cover, that Isaac Hayes record, mm-hmm. that ballad that took off. Ben, Michael, was it Ben? Was it, was, was it which, 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 uh, which ballad was it? Uh, I'm hearing the melody in my head. King. King. What ballad was Sorry, it? Sorry, I'm over here vibing, man. Come, come on, man. What, 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 come on, man. What, 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 what ballad was it? So, so, so once he, once he got on his own. Once Michael got on his own, he just got tired of being taken advantage of. Right. Never getting no money. You know, he was a little guy. He didn't get nothing. Right. And Joe, they say, spent all the money. Right. So he came into his own, and he kind of did this favor for his brother, and that was it. That was it. That was the last that time. That was it. Because I hate to put this on, but I heard the brothers was in bad shape. I'll just say this. At that time, the brothers was in bad shape because Don King gave everybody money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, so basically, don't take money. That's right. <laughs> from Don King, get the back end. They took no. They took the money in the front end. Mm. Get and, the back end. And Don, Don got the guy at the time that uh, that I think he owned the Patriots at that time. Yes, a guy named Sullivan. Yes, did the tour. Right. You know, and Don was the promoter. And and, and if, didn't he eventually have to sell? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Sell the Patriots, right? <laughs> man. Oh, yeah, Sullivan. Yes. He, he did. What is it about Don, man? That, 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 what is it? What makes Don King Don King? Because I, I, I'll tell you, you know, I know Don King has a, has a questionable reputation, you know, but I also think Don is one of the most fascinating character studies in American history. Like, he gets the American way of life. I tell him all the time, man, you should write yourself. You should write about yourself. Right. He's a genius. He's a genius. He's brilliant. Yes. Before the rumble in the jungle, there was blacks who was making not a dime mm-hmm. in sports and entertainment. When Michael Jackson died, 35 years after the rumble in the, maybe, yeah, 35 years after the rumble in the jungle, from Willie Mays getting 110000 Michael Jackson died $400 million in debt. Mm. 
That's what the rumble in the jungle did, not only for black acts, for white acts. Look, right now, uh, Lady Gaga, a blood nose seat costs you $400 to get in. Right. I mean, these numbers is now just ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and, this, uh, this whole Manny Pacquiao. Beyonce yeah. getting $3 million a night. Oh, Manny, Manny Pacquiao. Mayweather got Mayweather. $200 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a, that's a country, mm. that kind of money. Right. And $5 million a piece 40-some years ago was also a country. Right. You know, artists like myself and Ray Charles, $5,000, $7,500 a night was huge money. Mm. Black people in America, and then here come the Beatles. Mm. Paul McCartney is a billionaire. Right. There is not one black billionaire in the music business. And, and and basically you're saying that Don King really saw. Don King. It's all Don King. That's right. It's all Don King. So in a sense, even those who've probably had the worst relationships with Don King really should admire what he's brought to the game. That's right. right. But the, those that have a bad relationship with Don King, the reason why they got a bad relationship with Don King is not because he did anything to them. Mm-hmm. It's because they signed a bad contract. They signed a bad contract. And that's why they've never been able to do anything to Don mm-hmm. because it's all was in writing with lawyers. Right. They saw the money. Remember the money up te- front. The money up front. Remember me telling you about right. that Kansas City bag? Yes. <laughs> Kansas, can, yeah, don't take that Kansas City bag. Don't. <laughs> now, l- 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 let's take it to now, man. Like, you know, how, d- how did you and, 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 and Freddie Fox, man, build? What's, what's the nature, nature of your relationship with Freddie, man? Man, I love Freddie. Freddie is like a son to me, you right. know. We had a record company called K-Jack. Okay. Industry Shakedown. Right. And a bunch of great Fred, uh, Freddie's work was in that album. I thought he was one of the best rap because I didn't know anything about rapping, really, and hip hop. Okay, no, because you know that was a little way before. But you start hearing it now. You start seeing. Oh it all. yeah, 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 yeah. I produced acts like Wilson Pickett, Irma Franklin, and all the, the Pookie Hudson, the Spaniels, and here Bumpy bringing me a new music. How right. you can do? Not only that, he's so pure. Right now, I believe he'd out rap anybody out there. Mm. Because he tells the story that the two greatest rappers to me at that time was uh, uh, the kid that got killed. Biggie? Oh, Biggie. Not Biggie. Tupac. Tupac. Biggie, too. Biggie right. was amazing. Yes. But Tupac and Bumpy, they take and do melodies on a straight track. That's very difficult to do. And do it in key. You know, and I started paying attention to that hip hop, the hip hop. Man, and then Bumpy introduced me to the whole hip hop community, right? And I said, "This is not a bad way to go." It was kind of like <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like when I first did Lord and Miss Claudia, right? It was kind of like me seeing it, Bumpy. I saw myself all over again, mm. inventing a new style of music, right? A new form of entertainment, and hip hop is just wonderful. Now, now Bumpy also tells me, man, that you were the person that really inspired him to do. The whole industry shakedown. That's right. That's right. Let's don't do it halfway. Let's do it all the way. And like, you know, were were you like bumpy? You you got to shake up this industry. You got, you got, you. What what was the, what was the. You got to own something. I told bumpy, said bump, listen, man, you got to own this shit. You know, because if you don't, it will get away from you. Right. You got to be in control of your creative activity. You got to say where uh, F, there will be an F. There won't be nothing else but an F. 
because you are the only one hearing what go there. Right. Whoever paid for it, that don't mean nothing. Right. Abraham Lincoln said, a man time is equal to another man's money. Mm. So we built a relationship like that. It was no big me, no little you. Right. We were genuine partners. Nice. You know what I mean? So don't you have to worry about no two percent or three percent, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Right. We are we split if we got a loaf of bread, we eat in half of it. If I can eat all my half, you got it. You right. don't eat all your half, you give it to right, me. Right, right, right. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. What do you feel now, man, about you And know, the industry shakedown yes. was born. Okay. Amazing, <laughs> amazing record. Amazing, amazing record. Amazing. You know, it's it's funny. I used to have these conversations. Oh, Damn. With my damn, with my father-in-law Teddy Van, because he saw the whole uh, art form of 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 rock and roll uh, get whitewashed, and and our contributions get you know diminished and and almost forgotten. You know what I mean? Well, Jack, it's not almost forgotten. Right, it's forgotten. It's forgotten. And we used to have arguments because he used to tell me that that was going to happen to rap if we didn't pay attention. And well, I used to argue with him. I said, "There's no way that could happen." But I'm starting to see things that like kind of make me question, like, is this going to happen again? I saw it when Ted Copper mm-hmm. had Eminem on for three nights. Eminem, yes. Saying he was the greatest hip-hop ever. Mm-hmm. And he, Industry Shakedown was out there and all these great records. Tupac, Biggie. I mean, all of our... We gave rock and roll away, a rhythm and blues or whatever, for scale. Mm. <laughs> I'm noticing how they do it now with hip-hop. The moment a guy like uh, Jay-Z and Russell Simmons, they start calling them megas. Mm. Oh, these moguls, I mean. Start moguls. calling moguls. Doc, Dr. Dre and, and Diddy. Make them bigger than, you know what I mean? So that mindset, you start thinking. In the meantime, this little white boy coming up, you know what I mean, on on David Letterman, on Jay Kimball, on, where these guys, the little guys like Bumpy and, other rappers around got big records, great talent. We'll never get that opportunity. If a black guy does it, something's wrong with it. Mm. If a white guy does it, it's fine. Right. That's what I'm saying. So how do we? How do we? I mean, because because history keeps repeating itself. Control. How do we control it? Control. Right. How do you control it? Is by trying to have a meeting where everybody do not want to be the president. Mm-hmm. Let the guy know. Knows what he knows. Right. No. Right. <laughs> Let everybody play their role. Let everybody play their role. You know, the smart guy, the smartest guy in the room is the guy that knows what he don't know. Right. You know what I mean? And if he let the guy that knows what he knows, does what he does, and trust him, we'll have an industry. Right. We gave away an industry for scale, and it's called black music. Mm. Not that nothing wrong with it. When white kids start to do it, it opened the door for us. Right. Made the door a little wider. 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 Right. Yes. But we didn't have to give it away. We didn't have to give it away. We could have kept control of our own stuff. And then these little guys come around with, uh, make sure that there's nothing left when somebody, like we had a lot of great people die. I guarantee you, they'll be knocking at the door at the ears with a check. Mm. Let me handle your father's affairs, estates, right? Taking the songs with a dollar, right? I don't know what's going to change that. Mm. It hasn't changed in my sixty years in this business. Sixty years in this business, and I only had one contract. Mm. That is when the first one I signed, right, 
When I got out the army, I bought that one back. You bought it back for thousand dollars. That's right. Right. And I haven't had another one that I didn't control since. Mm, that's crazy. And I nobody in my you know my generation was the first generation had an opportunity to go to college mm. in the fifties in right. nineteen forty seven forty eight. 4951 was my generation right. of college. In 1951, there was not a black music lawyer. Mm-hmm. There was there was one black CPA in 1951-52. He was in Washington D.C. There was no such one CPA. Yeah, and you knew where he was. The reason why I knew where he was because they told me I needed one. Yes, yes, I had right. never heard a word CPA. Right. All this was Chinese to me. What do you mean I need to file taxes? I'm an agent for the government. I should take Social Security. I know. What is that to me, a little kid? <laughs> oh, nigga from the ghetto. Yeah. What do I know about the end of Man, and they came to Korea and told me that I owed taxes and money. I'm telling you. Right. It was amazing. It's amazing, man. But what's so amazing about it, Jack, it's almost like that right now. Right. Black people just don't know how to manage their affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm hmm and I ain't sorry to say that. I hope they're listening. Right. No, they are listening. Yeah. <laughs> if you start to manage your own affair, it's amazing. I have to call. If I want to book an act, I got to let a little guy who just jumped off the truck tell me about the agents. I'm going to talk to the brother myself. Right. I know his value. You know, I know about inflation and I know about increase. They came up with something called oldie but goodies deflates that's just like telling the black guy go around to the back door for a cup of coffee again that you has less value at an older but goody than you had as just an entertainer mm. i do not accept older but goody mm-hmm. i accept entertainment entertainment if i'm an older but goody what is sinatra what is the people before sinatra what about Ben Crosby? You never hear him say, and here's another oldie by Elvis right. Presley. <laughs> no, because that, it's a negative. Yep. And you can't make nothing positive out of negative. And they keep teaching us that, it, once again, our art form is disposable. That's right. That's right. Right. But you never hear anything bad about, you don't hear an oldie but goodies about the Rolling Stones. About the Beatles. The be- for What, the Beatles? <laughs> a Beatles C. You know? <laughs> You know, tell us about your your other venture, man. You 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 you're, you're very successful in the food business. Yes, well, right now I'm I'm down. I'm gonna tell you why. I was for four and a half five years. I had sweet potato cookies in Walmart mm. in five southern states. Right. I was in 486 super centers. I could imagine down south that was flying off the shelves. It was amazing. Right. And it had sweet potato uh, cookies. Sweet potato cookies. Was this yeah, your shit. mom's? Is this your mother's? No. Who's whose recipe? My is father it? used to make a thing called niggle in the blanket. Niggle in the blanket. Niggle in the blanket. <laughs> He'd take some sweet. <laughs> he'd take a sweet potato and make a puree out of it. Okay. And then he'd take and he'd bake it. Right. And he'd fold it like a triangle. Mm-hmm. And when you bite down on that sweet potato, on that on that triangle the sweet potato juice to run out of each side mm. oh my god and, and that's this. why that's why he called it a nigga in the blanket <laughs> 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 so i said i want to use that same i want to use that batter right and uh, for a couple of weeks i messed around with it and got it to look similar to a cookie right and found out in deer lake uh, iowa i found a a cookie um a, a baker that were manufactured for me as a private labor. 
And in a month time, they came up with a great cookie. That cookie turned into 14 uh, dessert products for my company, Icon Food. Right. Lord Miss Claudia, sweet potato Lord cookies. Miss, mm. Mm. And how's it doing? What it's doing now, we're not in Walmart anymore. Right. What I'm going to do, uh, by the end of this year, I hope to have uh, a Lord of Miss Claudia cafe, Lenyap Cafe in Philadelphia, okay. and one in New Orleans. Right. That would be like our, our, our model for franchising. Okay. And I found out the best way to do food and product, product, food product, is to sell it back to yourself. Mm. Like McDonald's, Burger You've set your own stores up and sell your stuff. Mm. And since it's a dessert product, I'll just have dessert cafes. And it'll be on the same order as uh, Hard Rock mm-hmm. or any of these kind of mm-hmm. franchises that mm-hmm. you'll see. But you'll be hearing black music. You'll yes. be hearing the original music yes. in these establishments. Yes. You have a book out called Some Dumb Hunky. Some Dumb Hunky. I'm holding this book right now. <laughs> what is this book Some Dumb Hunky about, man? It's political. Okay. It's mostly that our white cousins, and that's one, when you say I'm an American, there's no way that uh, you could live in America and your DNA don't match the white man's, what he called himself the white man here. The DNA got a match because mm-hmm. how many of us could get in the bottom of a little wooden boat crossing the Atlantic coming to America 500 years ago? How many could it have been? I mean, they don't know how many of us are here now. Right. And we're in the millions. I called it some dumb hunky because all of us have a little bit of that denial in us about who we are. Mm. If you're not some dumb hunky, who are you? The only true name that he, out of the eight names that they, he had been given to us is colored people. We are a people of color. There's 19 to 22 different colors of us. So that one, he was right. Nigger and crow and, and coon and all that other stuff is not absolutely who we are. Right. The bottom line is that we are Americans, so some dumb hunky is about denial. It also speaks about Africa, where at the time that I was in Africa, no African ever called me African. Mm. They called me the black American. Black American. And no one ever asked me whether or not I was an African. Right. They, they knew. They knew. They knew. <laughs> they knew. <laughs> Absolutely. So some dumb hunky is, you know, it could be uh, downloaded up at Amazon.com. Okay. Self-published? Self. No, it's... Actually, it's published by Cool Titles. Cool. Three See. three white ladies in Nashville, Tennessee. Really? Yes. Okay. <laughs> when when did you write this, man? I've been working on that book. This is my second book. Okay. I've been working on it for maybe, oh, man, 10 years. Before I got somebody to put out the title. Right. I would not let them put the book out without really naming it what it is. And, and people, I'm sure people forced it's nothing like, but we, it's, we can't we can't name this 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 name is surprise. I'm sure that's people, right. right. That's right. So you have to find a place that would let you that's right put it out. It's nothing but the truth. Okay. But it talks about music business. Mm-hmm. It talks about Africa. It talks about the social structure. It talks about the youth movement and a whole bit of how uh, uh, music got to be rock and roll. Right. It talks about uh, what we just talked about. Uh, how to make your music varialist. Yes. You know what I mean? And by naming it Older But Good Again. You know, mm-hmm. just keep renaming your creations. Right. And then also, you, you're working on a play. 
Lordy Miss Claudia. Yes, Lordy Miss Claudia. Lordy Miss Claudia is really the true king of the 50s. Right. So hopefully in September that we will have our first viewing of Lordy Miss Claudia on 59th Street at the 59th Street Theater. Okay. Hopefully we get space in that so we can show it. It's going to be a great place. It's going to be great music. Just a fun night. And a lot of historic uh, stories is in there telling the truth about exactly how we got here. Right. And it was through the youth. It was a youth movement that got us here to where we are today, exporting one of the most valuable products in this American history, uh, our music. Mm. Yes. Um, Mr. Price, you, you don't stop, huh? No. No. If you stop, for what? What drives you, man? I guess uh, every day you got to wake up to be motivated to do something. Right. Otherwise, you lay in the bed and just melt away. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to keep my mind, my I want to keep fresh, want to keep thinking about things. It ain't over till it's over. It ain't over till it's over. And, you know, it could be over in a long time. That's right. Right. That's right. You're not guaranteed nothing. Right. And I found that out. And I found out that all the money in the world, or to me, $100 was all the money in the world. Right. I found out without health, it, it just don't mean nothing. So if you if you don't move, you know, and just think about yourself as a human being, it, it just ain't going to work for right. you. You can have all the wealth in the world with a toothache. You, but you give half of it up to get, yep, to get, get rid of that toothache. toothache. Yep, yep, yeah. yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Any advice for a young uh, man or woman coming into this industry in 2015, what would you tell them? I would tell them that first find yourself. Right. Let nobody... Defer your goals. Be ambitious. Ambitious. Be ambitious. And, uh, well, you first need to have an education. You really need to be educated. It's not like it was 40 years ago. Because now you got to know something about computer. You got to be able to read and you got to read fast because the world is moving fast. Right. But in terms of your own entertaining and your entertainment, you are your self-value. If you believe that you can do it, you're the only one see what you see. Right. So you keep looking and you keep stepping. And advice is good, but you got to get advice from education and from the ones who have the experience to give you advice. And a lot of those give you bad advice. Right. But in terms of your talent, only you are in charge of that. And try to own it. You know, it's going to be very difficult. But own it. But own it. Right. Lastly, um, over your journeys, your, your, your top five Favorite singers? Well, Louis Jordan would be number one. Nat Cole, you know. Nat uh, Cole. Yeah. Andy Williams. Andy Williams. You know. Uh, I like Paul McCartney. Really? Yeah. Okay. And Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. I thought Michael was very creative. Yes. I got one more. Rach, two more. Ray Charles and James Brown. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a good list. That's a very good list. Mr. Price, man, I like I said, I could stay here. Forever, and I, and, I, and I really look forward to having more conversations with you. Well, Jack, this has been my pleasure, and I noticed I jumped back and forth, but there's so much to talk about. There's so much, man. And yeah. We, and we, we, I mean, <laughs> what do you think, King? Did we do, did Yo, we do it justice, Fred? Absolutely, did we, man. Did we do it justice? I mean— I felt like I was in class. What, 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 what did we leave out, man? This is music theory right here, man. Black music how theory. Many, how many times did Elvis Presley record, record Lordy Miss Claudia? I mean, yes. Oh, 21 times. 21 times. Yeah. And the Beatles re-recorded your music yeah. as well. And Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. 
Yeah, and his first uh, album, De Russia. Wow. Uh, Mickey Gill. It's been recorded 178 times. And and you own it. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Wonderful. Wonderful thing. <laughs> well, Mr. 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 Price, man, once again, this has been an honor. And, and I see why they call you Mr. Personality. Well, I thank you, Jack. And they should call you Mr. President. I wish Teddy was still living. You know, what a great oh, son-in-law. Man. Yeah. You know, I, I wish all this. Because he, <laughs> he passed before I started doing this. Amazing. This 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 uh this podcast and, 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 and all of the great times that we've had and accomplishments. I really miss him. And, and, and I always think of him and how he would be so proud. Yes, he would. As proud as Louise West was yes, tonight yes, when yes, she yes, walked yes. in here. Yes, yes. Once again, sir, thank you so much. Thank you, Jack. King, what's up, man? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I don't even know what to say, man. I'm, I'm, whew. This is this is this is a moment, man. You know, it's an honor and a pleasure to be a part of the show because I'm also learning and, you know, being amongst these conversations, and I appreciate it. Yes, me sir. Personally. Yes, sir, man. Internet, back Jack show. Internet, you see what we do, man. This is for the culture, man. It's not for the claim. That's it's right. not for the glory, man. But we gotta value, you know, our worth. We gotta, we gotta stop letting people tell us. You know who we are and what mm-hmm. our music is and what our creation is and what it's for and what it's what it's not for, and you know regardless of what situation. I mean, you know, Lloyd Price has no excuses. You know what I'm saying? He just did it. You know what I'm saying? And he fought and he fought at a time when it was arguably harder than it is today, man. So we have no excuses, man. We cannot allow for our music to be disgraced and devalued. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Everything that we do brings value. Everything that we do continues to fuel this you know everybody else benefits so why can't we benefit from all the greatness that we bring to this planet internets dream those dreams and then man up and women up and live those dreams because a life without dreams is black and white and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound blah raised bar Numenati! yo it's your boy a king and this weekly drop is featuring rick gonzalez featuring big twins produced by the amazing sb it's a Brooklyn Queens thing right here, y'all. Hashtag the weekly drop, the Combat Jack Show. We out of here. Infamous, we worldwide with the finest women. Define a vision for this million with the finest linen. On the grind to show these haters that they gotta listen. Infamous, this is what the streets is missing. Forgive me, Lord, I get in pain. This shit ain't been the same ever since she sniffed my cane and put her feet up on my frame. On the grind to show these haters that they gotta listen Infamous, this is what the streets is missing Like, she only rock a sneaker that gon' cost a G I quarter three after the club, but yeah, she bought us drinks I caught a wink and then I noticed that she tossed the ring Got somebody wifey that call me poppy and sport a flinch I order wings while she was showering and freshen up Gin and tonic or maybe vodka with seven up I press my luck calling a shorty for a threesome Filipino and reeking that bubble popping like seagrams My life is extraordinary, plain and simple When she ride me to a rhythm then I change the tempo A choreographer, I keep these bitches on their toes Maybe I'm just making up for times when they curve the flow After party life but we ain't even start the show I'm about to eat a star like Super Mario Superpower. She likes to play the role to see if I be low I told her, baby, this is all I know Open up Infamous, we worldwide with the finest women Define a vision for this million with the finest linen On the grind to show these haters that they gotta listen Infamous, this is what the streets is missing Forgive me, Lord, I get in pain This shit ain't been the same Ever since she sniffed my cane and put her feet up on my frame on the grind to show these haters that they gotta listen. Infamous, this is what the streets is missing. Let's go. Uh.
moved on Infamous King Twin and similar to Rick James Walking through the hood with my big chain Jumped in the whip, then I switched lanes We made it to the top and ain't shit changed Infamous the gang, the fans yell our name When we killing shows in the Ukraine I came a long way for selling cocaine To hanging out with 50 on a jet plane They used to call me shorty, little shit stain Now we getting money, building up our campaign First class flights, we do our damn thing Bad bitches in the bamboo earrings Life is good, but about to be better Save enough for my son, don't need cheddar No matter the weather, I'm on the grind I am three click, watch my team shine Infamous, we worldwide with the finest women Define a vision for this million with the finest linen On the grind to show these haters that they gotta listen Infamous, this what the streets is missing Forgive me, Lord, I get in pain This shit ain't been the same Ever since she sniffed my cane and put her feet up on my frame On the grind to show these haters that they gotta listen Infamous, this what the streets is missing This episode of the Combat Jack Show was produced by Jonathan Mena, executive produced by A. King and Chris Morrow, engineered by Samir Karan, and recorded in the Engine Room Audio Studio in downtown Manhattan. This is an official Loudspeakers Network's production.